Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, and let me be the first or tenth to, you know, wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I know you listen to us on a Wednesday, but we are almost to the best holiday of the year. We got plenty of football to talk about in the meantime. As always on this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, I am joined by none other than PFF Senior Analyst himself, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, how are you, my friend? Man, I'm good. Um, I'm ready for turkey and dressing, Ian. I'm ready. I was freaking born ready for it. And let's get right into it, everyone. Bears at the Lions kicking things off. Thanksgiving, Thursday, noon football. Don't be ashamed if you want to sleep in through this one. Bears sitting as three and a half point favorites. Game total down to 41 and a half after opening at 45. As always, I'm going to run through the away teams and Dwayne has home. So that starts off with the Bears and Andy Dalton will unfortunately be starting over Justin Fields, still dealing with that rib injury. Not going to give him a go with the short week. So with Dalton, just know it's going to be lame and it's going to be really conservative. He has only a 6.9 yard average target depth this year. That's the sixth lowest mark among 44 qualified quarterbacks. Guess who's first? Justin Fields at 10.9. So we really are seeing totally different versions of this offense, depending on depending on whether who's under center between Dalton and Fields. And yeah, nobody this season has thrown a higher percentage of their passes short of the sticks than Dalton. So he can look competent for, at times, but we just kind of know what we have here. And there's such a limited ceiling that beyond Darno Mooney, it's going to be tough, everyone. It looks like Allen Robinson will be sidelined again. We're recording this Tuesday evening at about 5.45. So just saw Allen Robinson hasn't practiced this all week and that's great news for Mooney I mean we saw it join 16 targets last week I mean that's what we dream of like every situation you know when we got AJ Brown is the only guy left in Tennessee uh Kadarius Tony's like in New York when we dream of the number one guy just getting fed 16 targets like the Bears were willing to do with Darnell Mooney had a week high 205 air yards and like Dwayne I'm not sure if you've done your rankings yet but I do wonder like is wide receiver three even high enough he, he might actually be someone we got to jam inside that top 24. I know uh, Kevin Cole always does a great job with our PFF projections and it's early in the week but first look had Mooney as the wide receiver 7 on the week and it sounds insane to me Dwayne but at the same time if we're projecting 10-12 targets he probably should be up there at least in the top 20-24. He'll be in my top 18. So, okay like nice. Just, you know I've got I've tiered my receivers I haven't ranked within my tiers yet um, but I use, I think I use a lot of the same criteria, honestly, as Kevin, mm-hmm. like our, our processes are a little bit different, but yeah, so he's going to be a, he'll be a wide receiver too for me this week. I think that adds up. You know, I, I, love I think he's fine. Just real quick, Ian, I think he's finally healthy. Cause like you and I've talked about him multiple times on the show. Like he's had growing hamstring. I want to say even quadriceps, like he's been like limited. I would say like up until like two or three weeks ago, I bet like. 60 to 70 percent of practices this season he's just now been to where he's not on the injury report so health could also be a factor so it's a really unique role for him again i mentioned those week high 205 air yards and he was actually third in unrealized air yards so they weren't hitting the downfield shots to him but he still had that great game because he took a screen 60 yards to the house so it's great when we have the high floor from these short targets but we're also still getting the deep balls downfield think of it as like Jalen waddle if he actually got like consistent air yards as well that's kind of what we're looking at with mooney so wide receiver two do not be afraid to fire him up on thanksgiving final note for the bears david 
Montgomery still getting that every down rule. 95% of the snaps last week. That was the single highest mark from any running back in week 11. And he's facing the Lions defense that has been flamed by running backs this year. We've seen Aaron Jones, Alexander Madison, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, and Montgomery himself post top six finishes on the week against this defense. So you're starting Montgomery, even if there's a fire, Darnell Mooney should be in more lineups than not. And that is it for your Chicago Bears. So Dwayne, Lions, we got some news that Jared Goff is going to be out there. But at this point, I mean, we got DeAndre Swift, we got TJ Hawkinson, and that's about it. Yeah. Hey, real quick before we, um, it won't take me but just a second to yeah. do the Lions. Where do you have, where do you think you're going to have Montgomery? I, I have an RB6 right now. Oh, I mean, I, 95% of the snaps and you're playing the Lions. Like yeah. it's hard for me to, you know, I got him above AJ Dillon. I got him two spots above Swift, three spots above Henderson. I, and I, then I've got my next year. So for sure, RB1, like for sure, top 12. I'm not sure we'll have him specifically. Like, you better have a damn good reason to bench Montgomery. And I don't even know if there is a good reason to bench Montgomery, Dwayne. If you have, you know, McCaffrey, Dalvin, and Jonathan Taylor, I guess we can talk, but uh, I'm not so sure how many teams have that combo. So RB6 yeah. sounds. A little optimistic, but I don't know, man. I think it's fair. It's, he'll at least be in that. I mean, ninety-five percent of the work know, it's, against it's the insane. Lions is all I need to know, right? I mean, and look, he's he's playing one hundred percent of the long down distance, one hundred percent of the two minute. Obviously, be ninety-five percent, you're never leaving the field, right? <laughs> um, but I just think it's a good situation where, like, we know targets are coming, right? He hasn't gotten targets yet, and they could come honestly more with Andy Dalton. They should, because yeah. We'll have Justin Fields, you know, taking off a scramble. So, look, we don't get to get excited to talk about the bears very often so i'm glad for this one segment it'll be 80 percent was bears and then now i'll do a real quick 20 percent on the lines jared cough jared goff jared cough you could call him jared cough like it's probably the same thing but you don't really care so deandre swift i have it running back eight on the week um, running back strength of schedule is a 7.7 which will be a top 10 you know but it's just such a you know they just don't have anybody else ian so it's a pure volume thing um the game could be a little closer so you could see a little bit of jamal williams he was back last week um but like do you ever trust the lions to actually hold a lead you know or keep no. the game from you or keep you know from trailing like 80 percent of the plays like right out of the gate so with uh swift you know he's still involved in the pass game all those things you guys don't need anything else i'm not talking about the receivers you want to see you can go look at my rankings later in the week but there's nothing here like of interest that i just have to get off my chest for you guys to listen to the hawkinson Obviously, he's out there. He's, you know, up over 80% of the routes. He's doing all the things we want. He just, you know, continues to get kind of tough matchups. And if you look at the tight end strength of schedule um, tool in over at Pro Football Focus, which you guys can get 40% off of right now with Cyber40 is your discount code, um, you would see that it's a 4.1, which is, which is below the league average. So it's kind of a tough matchup. They've got some pretty good linebackers, a couple of good safeties. Um, but... The main thing is like when you look at defensive points allowed to tight end, only 9.1 per game is what the Lions, I mean, is what the uh, Bears are giving up right now. Um, still, he's going to be one of the top two targets on the team between he and Swift. So you're going to get the volume. Just don't expect a lot out of it. I have him at tight end eight. Dwayne, the company man, just casually slipping in. That code, again, Cyber40 for 40% off any PFS subscription into everyday conversation. Great day to be great. Great day to help sell some pff subs we got the raiders at the cowboys midday thanksgiving you've probably eaten at this point but you got to stay awake at least maybe for a little bit we'll see cowboys up to a seven and a half point favorite opened at five points 
game total is at 51, down from 53. So it gets it's getting worse and worse for Derek Carr. He's now gone on three straight games, worst PFF single game grade in each one of them. So weeks one through eight, we had mostly good things to say about Carr because how could you really pick a bone with his performance? He had a 90.2 PFF passing grade. That was fourth among qualified QBs. He was sixth in yards per attempt, and he had a robust 9.2 yard average depth. He was forcing defenses to cover all areas of the field, making big things happen. Now what's happened in the three weeks since, it has not been good, people. Major falls from Carr. And again, just these same things. So 51.7 PFF passing grade. That's 34th among qualified QBs. Just 7.2 yards per attempt. And that average target depth has gone from eight point from 9.2 yards all the way down to 7.3 yards. So we really have just seen this offense just, you know, not be able to force defenses to respect the deep ball. And Dwayne, I saw some of your tweets how when Deshaun Jackson was out there on the field, like defenses were sending help his way. And it makes sense. Even at his elderly state, Deshaun Jackson still has some speed. Maybe he doesn't know which way the end zone is when he gets the ball finally, but he still has that speed to make defenses forced to account for him. The question is like, when are they going to pull the trigger and get Djax more involved? Like he left the Rams because he didn't have consistent enough playing time. I assume when he signed with the Raiders there was some sort of like hey man like you'll be a starting receiver here but he's still playing behind Zay Jones just nine snaps in his first game with the Raiders 16 snaps last week I hope it's on the up and up we will see what happens because without it everything is just that much tougher for Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro in the intermediate areas of the field so with Carr, I am really trying to avoid playing him like in fantasy until we can see him make a turn for the better. I know he was a guy we were comfortable kind of having around that QB1 borderline for a while. I think at this point, he's probably a little better viewed as a low floor QB2, get him down more in that 15 to 16 um, area. I'm not saying the Cowboys defense is just completely uh, unstoppable and they're going to shut down this Raiders team, but I don't know if there's a defense out there that this present edition of the Raiders offense would look that great about. So not too worried about Derek Carr. Darren Waller with Kelsey on a bye is arguably the overall tight end one this week. I don't need to explain that one. Then we got Renfer, who I think we can go back to as a fine wide receiver three. You know, we can't get too carried away. We saw the dud last week, but just because the guy dudded last week doesn't take away the fact that he was the overall wide receiver 11 in back-to-back games after Henry Ruggs was originally uh, released from the squad. So feeling good about Renfro, great about Waller, and Josh Jacobs. It's fine, man. Like, he hasn't finished has worse than the PPR RB34 this year. He's also not finished better than 15th. I was trying to make like an analogy in my article. It might be a shitty one, but Dwayne, I thought of Jacobs like this year. He's kind of been like that bag of chips that you have in the cabinet. You liked it enough to go buy it, but every single time you go to get a snack, like you find yourself going for something else. Like it's just never been appealing <laughs> enough to really go after. It's not bad. It like, is. It's like you reach in and you're like, oh, there's Josh Jacobs. I'll set him aside. What's that down there? You're like, that's not terrible. I'll I would, I would eat that if I was starving. But if I have other choices, like I'm going to keep setting it. That's actually a really good analogy. Yeah, you, good you job, pick, man. You pick, thank you, man. You pick it out at the grocery store. But, you know, when, it, when push comes to shove, you, you can rank 15, 16, at least running backs ahead of them. So ultimately, the Raiders have 43 combined points over the last three weeks. The Cowboys have been the fifth best defense and limiting fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. Uh, Dwayne, you can shoot me with your Jacobs ranking before you get on to the Cowboys. But again, I'm thinking low end RB2 is probably the right spot for him. Yeah, I've got him at RB21 oh, on the week. Perfect. Um, you know, his his snaps, his routes, everything is up over the last three weeks. But last week, you did have Jalen Richard out. He's limited so far this week. 
And so last week you saw Jacobs get to take 73% of the two minute offense. And so that really kind of helped, you know, buffer, right? You know, what the downside of Jacobs can look like if you get in a game where you fall behind, which they could do to Dallas. And that's the danger with Jacobs is that he can't get into the scripts. But they have been very active, man, getting the ball to the backs ever since they've lost Henry Ruggs. Like if you look at Jacobs, like over the last several games, Ian, like his targets per route run, um, it's kind of insane. I, I, I tweeted something about that earlier and I had somebody you know, they hit me up and they're like, well, that's just how this offense is designed. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's by design now because they don't have anyone what you were right. just talking about to really threaten the, you know, uh, the long boundary of the field. But it doesn't really matter for fantasy, right? All you care is, are they getting more targets? And they are. So targets per route run for the last three weeks for Jacobs, 25%, 26%, 35%. So that helps him a little bit. That makes me feel more comfortable um, because we were raking him as a low end, you know, RB2, knowing that his floor was really more like an RB3. I think he's pretty solid in that, in that spot now because of how much they're using their backs um, in the passing game. As far as the Cowboys go, um, Ezekiel Elliott did get dinged up in this game on Sunday, but he's practiced so far. Um, he's not even listed as questionable um, for the game on Thursday, so that's good news for Zeke. I don't know that he'll be 100%, but he's definitely going to suit up. He'll play. Um, if you look at Vegas, it's an it's an average matchup, you know, by like the metrics that we really look at, P, look at, you know, through PFF, like you know. How good is the defensive line? How good are their linebackers? All these sorts of things. Um, but if you look at it just from a pure fantasy st- standpoint, like defensive points against for running backs, 26.6 is what the Raiders give up, which is in the top six, top, no, it's top seven. So it's a good matchup for Zeke. You know, he'll obviously still give some, some of his work to Tony Pollard, but I've got him in our, running back 13 right now. Dak, I've got Ian, um, I've got him at quarterback seven. I'm just a little worried, like... I, I'm not worried about Vegas. Like they've been a better defense than what people thought they would yeah. be, but I'm not that worried about them in the passing game. It's just more that we're not going to have Amari Cooper for sure, and it's looking like we may not have CD Lamb as well. It looks so like just, just real quick. It looks like Tyron Smith because he got in a full practice today, and that was the first time he's done that since he got hurt. So yes, not looking good for the receivers, but hopefully Tyron Smith at least will be back, which would be good. Like um, it's been it's been really hard not having Tyron Smith, so that will be huge to get him back. So tomorrow is a huge day for C.D. Lamb. So we'll keep an eye on that for you guys. Um, We'll be updating the rankings. If C.D. can get out there and do his thing tomorrow, um, and then he have a shot Thursday to get cleared. But it's really tough, man, when you have a concussion to get turned around for a Thursday game. I don't even know what the percentages are on it, Ian. I haven't read anything. The the fact Um, that he wasn't – the fact that he couldn't even get a limited on Tuesday, man, I I think he's going to Yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. I have, I'm not even putting him in my rankings right now. So I do have Michael Gallup uh, inside my top. Uh, I've got him at wide receiver 17 right now. Um, Gallup has really struggled against man coverage this year, um, and he, he's he's more of a now Dak will still throw it to him. His targets per route run against man is still really strong. He's more of kind of their jump ball guy. Like the, Dak trusts him in those contested spots. But really, to get the consistent looks that you want from a receiver, like you also need to be able to separate. You need to be able to work the stuff underneath. And we've seen Gallup do that historically. It's on a small sample, so I'm not going to get overly worried about it. Look, he's going to be the one mouth to feed. And here's the good news. Vegas doesn't use man. They, they use man covers the second lease in the NFL. So Gallup should be in a good spot of seeing plenty of zone coverage. Um, I've got him at, like I said, 17. And then if you look at Dalton Schultz, I'm really excited about Schultz this weekend. Ian, like the more and more I think about him, um, I've got him at tight end six. Um, he's been up over 80% of the routes run. You know, he's going to probably have a shot to get 25, 30% of the targets. Um, and if you look at the matchup, it's a plus as well. So Dalton Schultz, Michael Gallup, 
you know, we're going to pretty much their must starts this weekend. Um, Zeke is at 13. And then I have Pollard down where I normally have him. There's nothing super about this game. He could get a little more work because Zeke, you know, is a little dinged up. Bills at the Saints as our Thursday evening matchup. Buffalo sitting as a five and a half point favorite up from where they opened at just two points. Game total at 46 down from opening at 52. So can't do the backfield. Can't do it. We got three of them. We can't do it. Bills are dead last in carries by running backs this year. Just 18th in targets. We could barely get behind the situation when it was just Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Now that we put Breida in the thick of it. Nope. Can't do it. Don't start him. Moving on. Josh Allen, the roller coaster, everyone. And I love Josh Allen. I loved Josh Allen before it was cool to love Josh Allen because he was always entertaining even when he wasn't really good at playing quarterback. You know, sometimes this happens and you have a guy like Josh Allen get really good at quarterback. Other times I'm still sitting here, you know, cheering on Drew Locke as he doesn't play a single snap basically all year. So I'm not equating the two. All I'm trying to say here is that Josh Allen has had a lot of bad moments this year. And that is just an objective fact. Fact. I'm going to use PFF passing grade for this stat, but you can pull out yards per attempt, QB rating, whatever. They're all the same. Like Josh this year in week one was 16th among quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. Since then, he has either finished in the top 10 or outside the top 24. Like he hasn't had okay games. He's either been a world beater or he's really sucked. And honestly, I think it could even be worse because this year leads the league with 10 dropped interceptions through 10 weeks. I mean, Dwayne, like I, I, this is why I love PFF stats because you can actually go in and with our big time throws, with our turnover worthy play, plays, dropped interceptions, stuff like that. It gives you a more clear story of the box score while still allowing you to quantify it. So if you look at Josh's stats on the year, you see the 21 touchdowns, eight interceptions. You might think he's doing a decent enough job taking care of the ball. But if you take those 10 dropped interceptions, add him to the eight interceptions he does have, he leads the league in combined interceptions and drop picks with 18 next closest guy is only in 16 has 16 of um again dropped and combined total interceptions so we'll see what happens i mean josh two weeks ago was our second highest graded quarterback of the week last week pre monday night football he was 29 so it really is just one or the other i think you know gun to my head by the end of this year i'll I, yeah I, I won't get too dark on this Dwayne. i should have gone with the girl scout example there but we'll, we'll work on it <laughs> either way with josh you know this is just a real life thing in fantasy even when he does have the bad game he's still running around enough he's still throwing enough to make it work but just something to really keep an eye on with josh where let's try to at least get a floor man because right now his floor has been one of the worst quarterbacks of the week and again we have now seen that on four occasions already this year so Josh Allen you're still starting him but just keep an eye on his consistency here moving forward and then with the wide receivers luckily we got back some normal snaps for Cole Beasley not you know 90% or anything like that but we've seen that him being the slot receiver not in two wide receiver sets he's not going to be out there having a super big snap rate we just couldn't have the nine total snaps from week 10 so I do think Stefan Diggs is going to catch that Marshawn Lattimore shadow. You're starting Diggs regardless. Just, you know, a fun, entertaining matchup to keep your eye on. I could see it being a little bit tougher for Diggs than usual, but it's Stefan Diggs. I think otherwise where it's Sanders and Beasley is where we can get back to feeling good about them, you know, as wide receiver three types. So 
Diggs, get him out there. You know, this is the 10th worst defense in PPR points per game allowed to opposing wide receivers. And I think Manny Sanders and Beasley, for you guys, you know, going out there playing some DFS on Thursday or just season-long filling the lineup, they continue to be more than solid options and perhaps could be booming if uh, they have a lot of more and additional coverage shifted to Diggs' direction. So, yeah, hopefully, you know, Dwayne, we get the better version of Josh Allen all the time. But with that said, again, pre-2020 Josh Allen was still fun. I'm old enough to remember in his first playoff game with like a minute left in the fourth quarter, him chucking the ball over his head to his fullback trying to make a play. So players can still be fun to watch, even if they're bad sometimes. And you got to give them credit when that is the case. So Dwayne, I got a lot to say about the Bills with the Saints, man. We just need these guys to get healthy because as things stand, neither Alvin Kamara nor Mark Ingram are practicing. It seems like maybe Ingram's isn't that big of a deal. We had Nick Underhill from New Orleans um, dot football, one of the best uh, beat writers in the business, particularly for the Saints. He did bring up that the Tuesday practice was basically a glorified walkthrough, so we can't put too much stock into that, but... We are a couple injury designations to the guys away from it being Tojo season. We're back. Yeah, man. Um, Ingram had a limited practice on Monday. And then, like you said, the DNP today. So I'm not going to, I'm not moving Ingram down my ranks yet. Um, my guess is, you know, he's a veteran. They're taking it easy with him unless we hear differently tomorrow. Um, so I've got Ingram right now at RB11. And it's mostly just a utilization thing. Um, you know, Ingram has played well, like for, you know, being a guy that everybody thought was completely washed. And I'm sure he's loving life actually being, you know, with New Orleans instead of being where he was with, <laughs> with the Texans, playing with a coach that just knows how to manufacture touches for for running backs, which we love in fantasy football. But over the last two weeks, Ingram snaps 85%, 72%, rushing percentage, uh, 67%, 76%, routes, 61% and 68% targets, 13 and 23 targets per route run, 17 and 30. Like I'm, I, I'm not going to keep going on. Like everything <laughs> sounds that way. Like, so when you get that, look, it's just, it means they're an RB one <laughs> because volume is the number one thing. Um, so Buffalo, yes, they can be a bit stingy, you know, against the run, but we saw Jonathan. Now it was Jonathan Taylor. Um, you know, who's, who's obviously elite, much different story than Mark Ingram at this point in his career. Um, Jonathan Taylor bit, went nuts last week. Yeah, just a little bit last week. But still, the volume's going to be there. So even if he just averages three yards a carry, but he gets involved in the passing game, and he got used, he's getting used a lot at the end of these games when Trevor Simeon does the, tre the Trevor Simeon dance, you know, in the fourth, you know, it's, instead of a rain dance, it's a Simeon dance. But um, it was kind of like you mentioned, it was like the Jalen Hurts thing we were seeing earlier in the year. Um, so, but here's the good thing, like with the Saints, like as much as, yes, Simeon has been kind of living, you know, by like the skin of his teeth, like the offense overall, like if you look at it over the last three, three to four weeks, like they're actually viable. Like there's enough, even though it's not a great team, like there's enough, there are enough yards to go around, actually support a couple of options. Um, so Mark Ingram got him at running back 11. We'll keep an eye. Who knows? Maybe Kamara gets out there and practices tomorrow, but it looks like he's trending towards not playing. If Mark Ingram were to sit this one out, Ian. Um, I would probably, I have not ranked Tony Jones yet. Um, he's just in one of my tiers. He's down towards the bottom. Last week, he was only out there 15% of the snaps, 14% of the rushes. So really not someone you can use. It would take Mark Ingram being out of this game to feel comfortable using Tojo. I would probably slot him in somewhere around like RB, between like RB 18 and 22. It's kind of a tough week because we got James Robinson getting healthier. We're probably getting Kareem Hunt back. You know, Leonard Fournette keeps doing his thing. Um, you got Miles Gaskin in another good matchup, and he's been getting the snaps. You're getting Elijah Mitchell probably comes back this week. So it's kind of hard to get him higher than those guys. But once you get past those and Antonio Gibson, 
get down to like Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, those guys, I would probably put Tojo ahead of them just because there's a chance he could be the every down back. That's about where I would fit him in. So, And I'll update that, obviously, once we have more information. Um, as far as the receivers go for the Saints, Traquan Smith, we talked about it uh, on the recap show Sunday night or Monday. Ian, um, you know, his season high as far as routes run. It's the second week in the road that he's led the team. It's his third week that he's been up over 85%. So Traquan really is the number one option on the team right now as far as being out there. It's not a good matchup, though, against the Bills. It's a 2.9 out of 10 on the PFF wide receiver strength of schedule metric. It's an 8.2 out of 100 on the wide receiver cornerback matchup. So probably a better day just to stay away from Traquan and the rest of these receivers for the Saints. Um, it could be one of those 200-yard passing days, and we don't really know where it's going to go. Uh, I can tell you one place it won't be going, though, is Adam Troutman, who <sighs> had been really looking good, and Simeon does like him some Adam Troutman, even though he's not out there. Um, you know, for enough for the amount amount of routes that we really like to see. You know, he doesn't get to that 80% mark, but his targets per route run have been really good because he's got that connection with his quarterback. He did not practice either of the first two days of the week, and he is was listed as doubtful. He, he's before. out. He's out for and his six weeks, man. Yeah, yep. and so he is out. Yep, he was put on IR. Okay, so he is gone. Uh, with an MCL injury, so we will not see Troutman. I don't even you know what I don't even know who the next tight end. We got Jawan Johnson, but I don't. He does not play enough. Uh, so Dwayne, yeah, I was actually just uh, looking this up as you were going through it because, as always, we record our lovely waiver pod on a Monday evening, and about 20 minutes after we were done, we got the Troutman uh, news. So with that in mind, Jawan Johnson was a healthy scratch last week. They got Nick Vanette back for the first time all season, so he actually debuted for the Saints um, last week, and I and think he's really a blocker. Yeah. So you could see Jawan get more of the receiving snaps. That's really what Troutman was doing, was getting yeah. more of the receiving snaps. But Vanette is really known for, you know, being a blocker. Central Ohio boys, we can do it all, Dwayne. But uh, no, I, I hear you. I, I just wonder, like, how many snaps is Jawan even going to play? He'll definitely be active now. But hey, like, if we're doing the showdown slate, if we're trying to have fun on Thanksgiving, go take down a tournament or something, do you go with Jawan? Because I feel like he's going to be the obvious, trendy... Troutman's out. Let's get it. I think Vanette could be the one actually that's going to be playing the most. Now, will he begin design targets? No, but like, I don't think they were trying to necessarily Simeon like Troutman. Maybe he was throwing the ball a little more. Maybe on Galaxy bringing too much here, Dwayne, but I think Vanette could actually be the better play over Jawan. I never go with Nick Vanette, but I, I think if you want to have fun and if you like losing money and that's fun, then I would definitely go um, with Vanette. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Yeah, no. You're so nice. I mean, you're too, I, I'm messing with you, man. You know, look, hey, you you know your way to my heart, like utilization. You just told me he's going to be out there, Dwayne. Like you have me a hello. Like if he's going to be out there, like there's always a chance. Um, you know, honestly, like if I'm going like and we're not doing a showdown show, but like in those cases, I would rather go with someone um, like a Traquan and just hope he burns somebody because I know most people will be off of him because of the matchup. Um, so anyway, I'll probably stay away from the tight ends. I was about to say, if you're going to go with a tight end on that slate, I think Dalton Schultz. If you want to go chalky, just go get Dalton Schultz. I like that call as him. Tight end six on the week. That's going to wrap up the Thanksgiving games on to Sunday. We got the Steelers at the Bengals. Cincy, we've had some wild line swings since uh, opening here. Cincy is now favored by four and a half points. Apparently opened as Steelers minus three. Game total holding steady at 45. So it was, you know, Big Ben watched him 
live for a little bit of the second half uh, in that Sunday night game. Dwayne and I always record uh, really during the first half of that, so didn't see the whole game. And I was looking at him, and I just saw a couple of series, you know. We, we get the whiskey out after the pod. I'm not necessarily as tuned in as I always would be. Pull up the numbers on Monday, rewatch a little bit. Yeah, he, he's just as bad as always. Like, this is continuing to be just the worst year of Ben Rossberger's career. Only five quarterbacks have a PFF passing grade below 60 this season. Here's the company Big Benson. Roethlisberger, Jared Goff, Zach Wilson, Tyrod Taylor, and our guy, Mike White. So, yeah, not great for Big Ben. Still someone that we just need to hope can exist long enough and well enough to just enable his receivers because we know we're not getting anything from him. But the good thing that Pittsburgh is doing for us is giving us one of the most fantasy-friendly workloads we've really ever seen to Najee Harris. We have expected points. It's a really great tool I think you can use on pff.com. Part of one of the things you can get if you use that code Cyber 40, get 40% off any PFF subscription. But anyway, we have these expected points. We're just measuring workload here. And going back to all of our data with it, which I believe goes back to 2018, the top three running backs and expected PPR points per game. Number one is 2020 Christian McCaffrey. Number two is 2019 Christian McCaffrey. Number three is Najee Harris. So yeah, he has not been good with his opportunities this year. 40th graded running back in PFF rushing grade, but we don't care. We got the volume RB6 and PPR points per game, and only Jonathan Taylor has more weeks as a top 12 fantasy RB1 than Najee Harris. So got to be loving him if you were managed to scoop him up in round two back in August. So obviously starting Najee in every single league, even if there's a fire. And then with the wide receivers, Deontay Johnson, man, just keeps on keeping on. He had a 100-plus yards and a touchdown last week, but we still haven't seen just the multi-touchdown, the 150, the monster game, and it hasn't mattered, man. He's the wide receiver 10 in PPR points per game. Just brought up those expected points. The only wide receivers with more expected points than Deontay this year, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, Calvin Ridley, and Devontae Adams. Like That's why we target guys like Deontay Johnson, because even if they aren't as good as those other receivers I just listed, they can fall off and not be as good, and they're still sitting as the wide receiver 10. So also think that Chase Claypool coming off a nice wide receiver 26 finish. He's a boomer bust wide receiver three. I'm, I'm feeling good about that now. We wanted to get him in that top 24, but I think with the way Big Ben's playing just overall this year and with Deontay soaking up so much target share, it's going to be tough to see too much consistency from Claypool, but we know he's good. We know he has the boom potential. Just realize he's not someone we need to jam in lineups the same way as Deontay. And in later news that we got just before his podcast started, Dwayne, Eric Ebron is expected to actually miss potentially significant time with a knee injury. We are back in on Pat Fryermuth. You said you have Schultz at tight end six, Dwayne, which I think is fair. CD, Cooper out, but Fryermuth might have to be like tight end seven at that point. That was the only concern. Having Ebron there, now that he's gone, all wheels go for Pat Fryerman. Does that sound right to you? I have him at eight. So I have Schultz at six, Gusecki at seven, and I've got Fryerman at eight. Love it. I love it, Dwayne. I love Pat Fryermuth, particularly now that he doesn't have to split reps, which was all we were worried about. So start Fryermuth, start Deontay, start Najee. Feeling pretty good about Claypool, and that is that. Just real quickly on the shadow matchups, I do think we'll see Deontay Johnson get tracked by Chidobe Awuzie and Claypool with Eli Apple. So that matchup, if you actually remember that uh, initial meeting they had, Claypool was racking up air yards. It just was one of those games. I think I'm thinking about the right one because I sent a freak helicopter out on the guy and just obviously fell face first on the call. But yeah, this was it. 
15 targets for Claypool against Eli Apple in that game. He had all sorts of areas. They just couldn't connect. So Eli Apple, I do think he's played a little bit better in the first part of the year. But if you wanted to try to go for Claypool, I think in DFS uh, settings, I'd really be more interested in him as a tournament play. We know he has that boom. It's just tough to get him too high up in the ranks because we also know how low that floor can be with Big Ben under center. So keep an eye out on that and also keep an eye out on Dwayne a consistent RB1 by the name of Joe Mixon. With that said, where are these targets, man? We know he can catch the ball, but all of a sudden we got Samaj P. Ryan, Chris Evans making Mixon's utilization a bit closer to a borderline RB1, I think, than the top five guy we were hoping he would be. Yeah, I mean, he's RB6 right now in the season, but he's got six touchdowns in the last three games, five of them rushing. So, I mean, he's getting plenty of work inside the five. Um, he's the short down and distance back. It's on a good, he's in a good offense. So there's a lot of positives, right, around Mixon, but he's not insulated from bad game scripts because we've seen, to your point, we've seen the routes go down. We've seen the targets go down. His routes over the last three game, games have gone from 59% to 51% to 44%. So they're giving him plenty of work, you know, as far as dominating really all the rushing touches. He's had 88%, 54 and 86% of the of the rushing touches, but it's just been more of a, you know, and some of this is they just try to balance these guys out, Ian, you know, so like if they give them all this run on the ground, sometimes they're just trying to protect them, right? From They don't want them to have, you know, 40 touches a game if they can avoid it. So P. Ryan has been more involved. We did get Chris Evans back in action. He took over the two-minute offense um, pretty much for the most part this last week. But really P. Ryan and Evans, now they're kind of sharing time behind Mixon, and it's mostly, like you said, on the passing down. So I've got Joe Mixon at running back 10 this week. Um, the Steelers aren't quite as stout as they have been just with all the injuries that they're dealing with. Um, so they're giving up 22.9 points per game to opposing running backs, which is really right around the average, you know, for fantasy points allowed. But I think they're a little bit weaker than that right now. Yeah, Dwayne, um, they, I, I found a cool stat with that. Backing up your point, people helping people here. Only yeah, let's the do it. Only the Vikings and Jets have allowed more rushing yards before contact than the Steelers uh, this season. Not your grandpa's Steelers uh, steel curtain, some might yeah, say. You, yeah, no, I mean, I think you've got a difference in the way that they're playing linebacker, too. Like, with Bush is a great sideline-to-sideline side guy. But, like, as far as, like, plugging the hole, like, there's a difference. Um, so, yeah, I, I got Mixon at 10. As far as the passing game goes, I've got Joe Burrow at quarterback 7 right now, which is right around where I've got him for the rest of the season ranks anyway. Um, it's a it's a decent matchup. I'll have to see. Are we going to have Hayden back for the Steelers? I'm pulling up the Steelers injury report. You may already have it. No, I don't see anything. We were without Hayden and Fitzpatrick, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, last week. So if you get that matchup again, that's obviously a plus for Burrow. But even if they're playing, Ian, I don't care. Like Because Joe Burrow has Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I really don't care what defense Joe Burrow is facing. It's really hard. Like it only moves the needle a, a, a little bit for me. The thing that's holding Joe Burrow down is really the the fact that they just don't. They still aren't running a lot of plays, and they have shown a willingness to lean into the running game whenever they need to or whenever they get a lead. Right? They don't just keep the you know they don't keep the odometer or the speedometer pegged to the floor like some of these other offenses do in the passing game. Having said all that, I've got Jamar Chase in my second tier of, of receivers this week. I've got him right now at wide receiver seven, one behind Justin Jefferson and one ahead of Terry. McLaurin. His matchup is, like we said, neutral, but again, I don't care. He's a great player. Now, you know, Chase has not been someone, you know, Ian, who every single week, you know, has really given us, you know, these huge weeks. He's been a little more boom bust, but for the most part, like he's always in the top 36. You know, when you look at you know, the Bengals receivers this year, typically one of the three has been left out every single game, you know, from the top 36. Um, we've only had one game 
out of the games they've all been healthy together where all three made it into the top 36. 36. And that goes back to the volume issue that I was talking about earlier. Um, they're just not throwing the ball enough. And some of it is due to game script, um, but they're, you know, they lean, they lean a little bit more neutral in the way that they want to handle their play calling really in all game situations. So I don't know that that's going to change. Um, but Jamar Chase has been the safest. So if you look at Chase on the season, we've got finishes 15, 39, 7, 30, 7, 25, 2, 26, 31, 28. So even when he misses, he's still giving you that, you know, he's, he's usually hanging around the wide receiver three territory. Had a couple of weeks where he slipped, slipped past that. But what you're looking for is we want some more of those booms. We've had, you know, we've had the seven, seven and a two, like I'm ready for a one, you know, let's see, <laughs> let's, let's make it happen this weekend. Um, T Higgins, you know, if you look at his utilization, still great. I know he bombed last week, but it's kind of part of what I was just talking about. Um, whenever we look at the way that this works out, you know, Tyler Boyd actually did okay last week. And so what happened? T. Higgins was just the odd player out, but it wasn't because he wasn't running as many routes or anything like that. You know, he only had 9% targets per route run, but he's at 23% on the season. He's still leading the team in targets per route run. That's ahead of, yes, that's ahead of Jamar Chase, who's at 22%. So I still believe in T. Higgins. It just so happened that last week it was Tyler Boyd's turn. So you just kind of got to live with it, man. It was a wide receiver 73 finish for T um, in week 11, where it was Boyd, it was a 28. But I've got T. Higgins right now ranked inside. He's in my fourth tier, and I have him at wide receiver 22. Like, he could end up outside of my top 24, but he'll be somewhere right around there. And then I have Tyler Boyd in my tier five. And so he's typically, I usually have him down at the bottom of my, of my wide receiver three tier, sometimes the top of my wide receiver four tier. Um, and so that's where I've got him as well this week. Um, CJ Ozoma, you guys know, like it's just, it's a major hit or miss with that guy. Like if it's this tough for the receivers, it's really hard for Ozoma to get involved. So he's really only just a pump play. If we had 2020 pass game volume, like I don't think any of this would be an issue. Yeah. That's not the game we're playing though. Burrow already has seven games with fewer than 35 pass attempts this year. He only had two such games like that yeah. all of last year. But yeah, Dwayne, you mentioned like with or without those defenders, obviously for everyone trying to play Burrow, you would rather have the Steelers defense be at, you know, the least of their powers as possible. They played in week three and Burrow threw three touchdowns on just 18 attempts with Minka, with Hayden in the picture. TJ Watt was out then, but it's looking like that'll be the case once again. Don't be surprised if we see some fireworks from this Bengals passing attack. We got the Panthers at the Dolphins. Carolina sitting as a one and a half point favorite after Miami opened at four and a half. Game total all the way down to 42 and a half after opening at 51 and a half. What the hell was that person smoking? But yeah, we talked about Cam a lot on the waiver wire edition of this podcast. We can check out on the Tuesday show. But yeah, basically he has the rushing upside at this point and just the floor, you know. That's what rushing gives you. It gives you a nice ceiling and floor combo. More fantasy points either way. And he is going to be a low-end QB1 moving forward. I just really hope that this cover zero that we saw the Dolphins really thwart Lamar Jackson with doesn't, you know, really impact this Panthers offense the same way. I do think it will be quite a bit tougher to, you know, leave McCaffrey, DJ Moore in one-on-one coverage and not get absolutely torched by it. So not too worried about that. Cam Newton, top 12 quarterback. Right, Dwayne? Are you going top 12 or top 15? I've got Cam Newton at number 10 right now. Let's go. Let's freaking go. Not top 12, top 10 for Mr. <laughs> McFarlane. I will replicate that myself. And yeah, then we got Christian McCaffrey. And like, I think we just take it for granted sometimes, Dwayne. Like, McCaffrey, I brought the expected points before. Like, his volume is unbelievable. And he could be a hat of fifth of the player that he is now and still be a solid fantasy guy but he's not he is like truly probably the best running back and 
I don't want to say the best running back. Jonathan Taylor is doing incredible things. He is a top five, top three, whatever you want to say, real life talent at the position, independent of the absurd workload. Like I just literally watched every single one of his receptions this morning. And these poor linebackers that get matched up on him and these option routes, man, it is not even fair. And like sometimes they'll be close and then all of a sudden it's just McCaffrey running away from them in the open field. So only four finishes this year with a fully healthy game. RB1, RB3, RB4, and RB3. McCaffrey might as well be a cheat code in fantasy and real-life football. Enjoy watching him play every week we get. And then finally with DJ Moore, try to find a way to start him. I get it. He's sliding down the ranks. There was a time where we had him as like a legit top 10 guy every single week. He's still tied for fifth with a 29% target share though this year. And he's sixth in air yard share, 42%. Only behind Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Brandon Cooks, Terry McLaurin, and Justin Jefferson. Pretty great great company to be in. So we have seen Robbie Anderson start to get a little more involved in recent weeks, but come on, we know who the number one is here in Carolina. It is DJ Moore. So try to get DJ Moore in there. Obviously McCaffrey and Cam Newton deserves the benefit of the doubt as well. I am expecting Xavier Howard to be tracking Robbie Anderson in shadow coverage, and we should get Byron Jones on DJ Moore. So keep an eye out for those. But as great of names as those cornerbacks have, and I know they have great contracts too, we just just haven't seen that really carry over in the fantasy production. I mean, hell, Byron shadowed Mike Evans and Xavier showered Antonio Brown earlier this year. Both those guys scored two touchdowns in those matchups in that very game. I'm not trying to say DJ and Robbie are exact replicas to Evans and AB. I'm just saying, again, with shadow matchups, it's a good tiebreaker. And I just don't think it should really scare you off of getting behind DJ Moore in this one. That's when we got the Dolphins. You hinted at it earlier, but the Miles Gaskin workload, man, it is here. And I know, I know we got an even week and he has not balled out well in even weeks. <laughs> but Dwayne, I'm willing to maybe put that phenomenon aside and still roll the dice with Miles Gaskin. What say you? Yeah, I think you have to this week. I mean, against Carolina, as far as the running back strength and schedule goes, it's an 8.6 out of 10. Um, even though technically, like if you look at uh, defensive points against for running back, this is one of those interesting ones where like our metrics and the way we measure it versus just raw fantasy points, they kind of contrast, which I love having those two different data points because it just gives me another view on like how things are working and how um, we can think about these games. But it's 18.7 points per game allowed to opposing running backs so far for Carolina. So they've been pretty stingy, but here's the good thing for Gaskin. It's all He's from the passing. It. It's all, it's, they're literally number one in fewest receptions and receiving yards against the actual run. They're not great. Right. So that's where it comes the from. Thing, so the thing with Gaskin though, is like a lot of his points come through the air, right? That's really because the, the Dolphins are not very efficient on the ground and Gaskin hasn't been very good on the ground. Um, it's been really more about his involvement in the passing game. If you look at the last three weeks, 15% of the targets, 6% of the targets, 13% of the targets. And what you're saying makes what you're saying makes sense. Like when you just think about the way the Panthers defense is built and the speed that they have sideline to sideline, um, but when you look at Gaskin, so he does depend on that. So that could be a little bit of an issue, but I still have him at running back 17. Look, you got a running back that's been out there for 72%, 60%, and 74% of the snaps. Rushing attempts, 80, 67, 72%. Routes, he's over 50% every week. Um, I already talked about the targets. 
Um, he's getting most of the two-minute offense now. Really, the only thing he's not getting anymore is the long down and distance, and that's just going to Patrick Laird because you got a Patrick Laird. You know, you have to do it at some point. So with Gaskin, I've got him at running back 17 right now, and I've got Elijah Mitchell one spot below him. If, if Mitchell's playing, I wouldn't blame anybody if they're like, oh, I'm going to move Mitchell above Gaskin. That's fine. But the matchup overall on the ground itself is pretty good. So Gaskin does have a chance here to score a touchdown. As far as the passing attack goes, um, look, I know Tua hasn't been, you know, exceptional, you know, or every or you know anything as far as like real football goes. But for me, they're doing a lot of nice things that I like from a fantasy perspective. Number one, the Dolphins throw the ball no matter what, trailing by four or more. They're plus eight percent versus the NFL average. Uh, within three points, they're plus six percent. Leading by four or more, they're plus seven percent. Neutral first downs, they're plus five percent. And passing inside the five yard line, they're plus nine percent. So Tua Tua is just one of these quarterbacks that like he falls into these, even if his performance isn't that great, he falls into these top 12 performances a lot. Really his biggest issue this year has been injury more than anything from a fantasy perspective. Like if you look at the last two games, he's got finishes of 10 and 12. It's probably 13 after Brady played last night. This My numbers are still from uh, pre-Monday night football on my ranks. Um, so Tua is in a spot where I don't I don't love it. It's not a great matchup. But like if you had to use him, you know, I think he'll, he'll be in my top 20 quarterbacks this week. But the bigger thing is he's got enough there to really support the guys that we want to play, which are Jalen Waddle and maybe, maybe, maybe Ian, we get Will Fuller back. We'll see. Come this on, but right come now, on, Will. I've got Jalen Waddle at uh, wide receiver 24 right now, um, and if you look at him, you know, over the last three weeks, I mean, like. Early in the season, we'd see these games where his routes would dip down to like 70%, right, or 75%. We have not seen that in a long time. Routes are up over 90%. Targets, 26%, 19%, 28%. Like Jalen Waddle is like just out here doing his thing. He's going to probably – he'll finish inside uh, – right now he's on pace to finish inside the top 24 receivers as a rookie, which is an awesome accomplishment. I know a lot of it still does come on lower dot stuff. But they have been pushing it down the field a little bit more. And, man, maybe just maybe we get one of these big plays from Waddle. We know he has the speed. We know he has the electricity to, to do it. They just need to get it to him a little bit further down the field. Um, so Fuller, if he does play, I do not have him ranked yet because I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen. But if Fuller does play, let's just put it – I mean, it's a wide open rotation on the outside. I think he immediately steps into that lead role. I mean, right now we're dealing with Preston Williams and Matt Collins and Albert Wilson, and they're all just rotating. And the Dolphins are playing a ton of um, 12 and 13 personnel, getting three tight ends on the field. So I think you probably see Will Fuller in his debut probably hit 70 to 80% of the routes, and he could build from there. And look, with them throwing the ball enough, like Fuller's out there enough, he gets some one-on-ones. We could see him break a few big plays, and he could have a big week, especially if you're looking at a DFS-type situation. And then Mike Kosicki, um, already talked about it earlier whenever we talked about uh, Dalton Schultz, um, but I've got him at uh, tight end seven on the week. The matchup is a little bit tougher, but look, Gasecki's out there all the time, so you got to keep using him. Yeah, it's a great point on Fuller because when he came back and made his debut, actually, he was at 61% snaps and they were really feeding him air yards in that uh, overtime game they had against the Raiders. So with Fuller, like we really are just hoping that he connects on one, maybe two of those deep balls anyway. Yeah, I don't need to wait to see a full snap rate. In season long, it would be nice to really feel good about it. But getting Kacheri in a tournament, sign me up. 
Another squad that has a suddenly awfully productive first-round wide receiver balling out. Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Giants. Philly sitting as a four-point favorite. Seem to open at Giants minus three. Again, another confundling one. We got the game total sitting at 46. So Jalen Hurts, the QB1 now in Fantasyland. He has been a top 12 quarterback in every single game that he has played at least the first. Uh, he's played, I should say, the four full four quarters and that is 13 of 15 career starts so gotta love that and really it just comes down to this rushing upside which is absolutely bonkers i pulled this on monday so maybe leonard fournette found a way to change this but either way it's ridiculous the only players running backs quarterbacks whoever with more fantasy points from strictly rushing production than jalen hurts this year Jonathan Taylor, Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, James Conner, Nick Chubb, Ezekiel Elliott. That is it. We're basically getting Jalen Hurts as like a running back where, hey, we have a ton of points from the ground game. And whatever he throws for, that's extra. So continue to start Hurts with all the confidence in the world. And now we just need to see what's going on with this backfield. So we know Jordan Howard is going to be missing some time with the knee injury. Dwayne, you mentioned this on our Sunday night podcast, and I went back in and looked at the specific numbers with it, but we did actually see Miles Sanders post-fumble not have the same role. It was looking pretty damn good before that fumble. He played 15 snaps, 7 carries. Boston Scott had no touches on 4 snaps. Jordan Howard just 1 carry on 2 snaps. That was in the first 4 drives of the game so I don't know man that's like pretty legit if it was first two or three okay but first four I think is a little more telling after that Sanders and Boston Scott each had 20 carries Scott had six uh, or 20 snaps I should say Scott had six carries Howard had nine carries Sanders had nine carries like it literally went from the Miles Sanders show before the fumble back to a muddled three back mess afterwards so what's it going to be on Sunday I don't know Nobody knows because how the hell could you know with what we've seen from this backfield? That's why with Sanders, you know, I get it. You should be feeling better about starting him this week. It's a winnable matchup. But even then, Dwayne, like low-end RB2 is going to be the highest I want to go. In my mind, I want to rank Sanders as like the RB25. I don't want to give him the top 24 treatment, but it might be tough to say no. Where do you settle on him so far? I've actually got him at 22 right now. Okay, um, but, but he's, fair. you know, I think it makes sense where he's at because you get into the Melvin Gordon, Javonta Williams area, which yeah. he's going to be in a split like they are, right? You're getting into that Devonta Freeman, Josh Jacobs, like he's right in there. And I've got him below Jacobs and Antonio Gibson and just ahead of Melvin Gordon and Javonta Williams. You could argue and swap like those and I would be fine. Like, I think that's fine, but I think that's the tier that he probably belongs in. Damian Harris slipped out of that tier this week just because we don't know for sure what's happening with him and Ramondre Stevenson. So I would have him ahead of Damian Harris, um, but that could easily flip back next week, right? You know, so yeah. that's where I've got him. Yeah, it's funny you uh, say that. I, when I wrote up my running back uh, article, I break down every backfield. You guys can check that on pff.com on uh, Wednesdays. I literally wrote about Damon Harris that, like, I prefer him over Stevenson straight up, but they're now basically treated in a similar manner as the Broncos guys. Like, we got to put them both in that RB3 range. So I think that's a great line. If you want to put Gibson or Jacobs ahead of Sanders, that's fine. If you want to put him ahead, that's fine. But yeah, where the Broncos and where the Patriots backs comes in, I think that's where you got to start Sanders ahead of those 
those guys. And then finally, just with the passing game, and it goes through two guys, Devontae Smith. Last three weeks, 116 yards and a touchdown, 66 yards and two touchdowns. Last week, 61 scoreless yards. The problem now, we just can't really get the targets that we want. He's only had one game with more than six targets since week six. He's getting all the air yards in the world, though. I mean, he is tied with Jamar Chase for the league high with a 45% of the Eagles air yards. Hey, we've seen the upside. The problem is there's only so much the guy can do when he's getting five, six targets per game. So Devontae, he might have some of the underlying metrics that would make you think he could have like wide receiver one, legit wide receiver one upside down the stretch. God treat him as more of a low end wide receiver two, probably more likely upside wide receiver three. And then finally with Dallas Goddard, Give the guy a break. I know Zach Ertz has been doing some good things in Arizona, but we can go through that as well. With Goddard, he just got concussed two weeks ago. He has been maybe the most unlucky player in terms of sheeshes that I've been tracking maybe all season, at least in the last month. And I don't want to just take this four-game stretch and be like, he's not going to produce anything. He had... What I thought was a touchdown last week. They ruled him just short of the goal line, but it looked like he rolled over the guy into the I end he zone. he had two last week, didn't he? So they he had... For sheeshes. He had... Yeah, he had two sheeshes. He had the first one that like should have just been a straight-up touchdown. The second one got nullified on an offensive yeah. pass interference penalty. So... Okay, yeah. Should have at least had one, if not two. And a couple weeks ago, like we talked about in the uh, Chargers game, I believe, maybe it was even the Broncos game, where he was wide open for a 50-yard score early on. Jalen Hurts just sailed it on him. So I am going back to the well with Goddard. The way we've had some of these situations emerge, like... I get it. He's maybe not locked in as like the top six guy we thought he was going to be every single week with the way this Eagles run offense is just becoming the most run heavy offense in the entire league really over the past month or so. I think behind Schultz, behind Fryermuth, behind Jasicki, you got to have him in the top 10. I still think you should feel good about starting him. I'm just saying, like, I get it if you're not necessarily going to put him a tier above these other guys. The targets are just too even. Like, Goddard is still one of so few tight ends in the league that has a chance, has a, like a realistic, if not be expected, to lead their offense and targets during any given week. The problem is you can lead the Eagles offense and targets with like six or seven. Some other groups, you know, you can get that many as the number yeah. three option. So... That's just what it is, Dwayne. But it is a two-way funnel just between him yeah. and Smith, which is good. And, yeah. and the offense is more efficient now, right? So it I is. think what you're trading off and not getting the eight or nine targets in the receiving game, like I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone for Goddard to have a potentially huge efficiency get uh, type of game as well. Absolutely. And I think he should still be started in more lineups than not. But we've talked about this a lot more in the last couple of weeks. When like tight end is actually a little bit deeper than past years as it stands right now. Whether or not we could have seen that coming in, you know, June, July is another uh, another conversation for another day. But either way, feeling good about Goddard still, despite this, you know, brief lull. Devontae Smith, get him in more starting lineups than not. And Miles Sanders. Feel good, just not great. And of course, we love our guy, Jalen Hurd. So in the running for fantasy MVP at this point in time. Now, Dwayne, big loss today. You know, I'm a guy that probably spends a little too much time on Twitter. People uh, might go out and say, and my favorite thing to do was to send after some ridiculous usage from the New York Giants, send that tweet with the Jason Garrett train picture. And I can't do that at least until 2022 now because the clapper is no longer clapping on the sideline. He has been released as offensive coordinator of the New York Giants. 
blast from the past. Freddie he, Kitchens. He embodies we'll the spirit over. of a lot of other coaches, though, Ian. So I think you could still use it. I think <laughs> you could still use it in spirit. Like, I think there's plenty. In fact, you could use it probably for Freddie Kitchens, who's about to start calling plays. So I think you'll be able to, you know. <laughs> just just I mean, get a crude. Freddie Kitchens thing, like, already. Let's just get a crude Photoshop of Kitchens' face over Garrett's. That's the move. That's the move right there, Dwayne. But Jason yeah. Garrett fired aside. Let's talk about the Giants here because we saw the Monday night usage and Kadarius Tony. Say what you will about Jason Garrett. He found a way to feed that man the ball in his last uh, last hurrah. Yeah, he must have known it was almost over. He's like, got to get Kadarius out there. Um, you know, Tony did suffer, uh, you know, an injury, a quad injury late and he left the game or he would have had an even bigger game. But he was out there for 64 percent of the pass plays would have been more like 80 percent, which would have been nice. Now, 67 percent of his routes are coming from the slot. So that's going to be impacted when Sterling Shepard comes back. That's kind of really with Tony, the thing that's up in the air. What happens? Do they move him outside and let him take over all of Slayton's role? Or does it just become more of a rotation across more guys and a bad offense? Um, but yeah, Tony did look good. 26% targets per route run over the last two games since Kenny Galladay has been back. Kenny Galladay at 11%. That is terrible an 11 percent targets per route run and he's under 80 percent of the routes and both of the games back um you know he got he came back they had the bye so you would expect kenny galladay to pull, be fully healthy this passing game i mean definitely needs a shot in the arm i don't know that freddie kitchens can can help it uh, but when you look at daniel jones like here are just as like just forget yards and everything like just his fantasy points you know per game started off kind of nice Ian. you know 23.4 29.5 14.5, 25.8. All right, hold on. Like, here we go. 4.8, 7.1, 14.9, 17.1, 10.1, 9 and 9.7. Luckily, he had a week off in there where I could only tell you there's a dash for the bye week. So <laughs> that, that was a positive for Daniel Jones that he got that dash worked in there. Um, so it's just a, it's a mess right now. Um, look, we knew Daniel Jones wasn't a very good quarterback. Like, he was doing some things fantasy-wise early in the season. And, and you know, we always want players to do well. Um, like it makes our job more fun. And look, it's just like, I'd rather want, I'd rather root for somebody to succeed than fail. Um, it's, it's it, Daniel Jones is riding on the struggle bus though right now. Things just don't look good. Um, really any way you cut it. Like the weapons are there. He has technically enough weapons. You would think the offense could do something. We'll see. Maybe the firing of Jason Garrett does do enough to spark them. You also had the return of Saquon Barkley on Monday Night Football. Played 62% of the snaps, handled 50% of the rushing attempts. Um, Devontae Booker still split the passing down work a little less than half to Booker. So I think, you know, we saw this earlier in the season and it wasn't always, you know, Booker. There was actually a weird game early in the season, like gate week two, I think, where Booker was just inactive. I don't know what he had done, but I think we'll I'll, we'll see Barkley work his way back, back up to really more of a full-time role. We saw McCaffrey go through this when he came back, how he started off a little bit lower. But we just need the Giants' offense to be a little better. I think within the next two weeks, you'll see Barkley back to that full-time 75%, 80% of the snaps. Um, and, you know, it also looked like the game script has something to do with it because quarters one through three, it was much more shifted towards Barkley. He was at 29 of uh, 39 snaps. So he's not back at his full workload yet either way, but I think in those first 45 minutes was a little more telling. Yeah, and well, they could just never get like any long drives strung together either. Like it was just, it was a very weird kind of game, like as far as the flow for the Giants. So yeah, I do think that Barkley will be back up to his 80, 85, 90% here within the next couple of weeks. And you'll be able to continue to roll with him. I don't know where he'll be this week in, but it would be nice because you're, you've got the Eagles giving up 27 points per game to opposing running backs. Um, if you look at it from a, from a running back strength of schedule metric at PFF, it's not great offensive line run blocking advantage. 
advantage. Also not great here for the Giants. So it's not it's not like a, uh, a smash matchup or anything, but there's definitely potential here for Barkley. So I've got him at running back 11 on the week. If I knew he was completely healthy, I would have him closer to probably six or seven. Uh, but right now I'm going to stick with him around 11. You know, he might end up around 12 or 13. Um, he moved up a little bit because we know Kareem Hunt's likely to play. So that moved Nick Chubb down just a little bit because we know Chubb will have a more limited role on his team. If you look at the receiving options, you know, we already talked about um, where we are with Tony, but I've got him ranked at uh, wide receiver 37. That's mostly to do with that injury. I just wanted to keep him just outside the top 36 for now. Um, we got to hear what's going to happen with Sterling Shepard. If Sterling Shepard comes back, I'm going to have to move him down a little bit more, even if he is healthy. Kenny, Kenny Galladay is outside of my top 36. He's down in the 40s and 40 to 50 range with him, based on the information I just shared. If Sterling Shepard does play, and I want to see some full participation from Shepard, um, then I think you know he'll be inside the top 36 just because we know Daniel Jones loves him. Um, Evan Ingram, you're really trying to not play him. You know, he had a couple of nice games and then he just tailed back off. And the matchup is not good this week. The tight end matchup itself is a minus 37. It's the worst on the slate. Um, the Eagles have done a nice job. Ingram's like, we got to treat him like Dalton Schultz, essentially. I know vastly different players, but yeah, if we take away all the wide receivers, then Ingram can get his targets. But when everyone is healthy, it's just going to be hard for him to do that. Dwayne. Saquon had six carries and six targets on Monday night and obviously no touchdowns, 30 to 10 loss. Where do you think he finished on the week? Uh, I don't know. 15. Yeah. RB 19 still, man. Like yeah, that's, it's just, yeah, it's like, yeah, there's, it's, it's like you have the really high end guys at, at running back. And then you have like the blob of nothing like immediately starts right after that. So it doesn't take a lot. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, man, getting those six catches, like having it's this huge, sort of man. role is yeah. such a cheat code. And that was like, I remember uh, in the preseason and, you know, talk, we had so many Saquon conversations. And one of the things that people would bring up as like a reason not to go after him was how bad the offense looked against the Steelers in week one when he had like literally nine or 10 carries for like 15 yards and didn't score. And he finished as the RB23 in that game because he still caught six balls. So when you have these situations, it, there's just too much volume to bust sometimes. Saquon oh. has just been so unlucky, man. Yeah. That Still, that ankle injury was just the chances, the way that it happened. Like, golly, I felt so bad for him <laughs> to rehab and work so hard and to be looking good. And then to just be in a, you know, after a play is over and not see a player step in front of you, step on his foot and you freaking get, you know, one of the worst ankle sprains we've ever seen, like just swole up like a watermelon. Like it just feel bad for Saquon. So hopefully he's nearly back to 100%. This actually was from Saquon via NewYorkPost.com. He said, it's just a little frustrating to have to sit out again and come back and feel like how I was in week one, getting my feet caught back up. That just comes with missing a little time and getting my body back. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my brain and my feet and my legs caught up together. We will be watching Saquon. Best of luck to you. We got the Titans at the Patriots. New England sitting as a six-point favorite, opened at one and a half. Game total is down to 44 and a half after opening at 48. More shuffling in this Tennessee backfield. We talked about the Dontrell Hilliard experience. Note that he got signed all the way back on October 27th. This year hasn't been on the team for more than a month, but at this point, like none of these guys have. So we got Deontay Foreman getting outrushed by Adrian Peterson, but oh wait, AP has now hit waivers. 
I'm not totally convinced he's done. It was from Mike uh, Garofalo, who actually sent this out originally from NFL Network, where he said the Titans waived running back Adrian Peterson. Possible he returns. So there's a chance if he clears waivers, I think they might bring him on the practice squad, activate him for some weeks, not activate him for others. We'll see what happens. But guess what, people? You don't really need to worry about it because we just aren't playing any of these guys because McNichols should be back sooner rather than later. I'm pretty positive he did not hit IR or anything. We still got Foreman. Who the hell knows could be next? We got Philip Lindsay now as a potential option after the Texans decided to get rid of him. Just stay away from this Titans backfield until we have more information because originally, like the allure of this backfield was, hey, we'll get someone that hopefully has Derrick Henry's role or something resembling it. That's completely out of the picture. We have at least three running backs in the muddled offense. And not only are we not getting the role, but now this is like a situation like Houston or the Jets almost where the offense has been so bad that we just can't even get by with the limited touches that are available to begin with. In terms of EPA per play rank in weeks one through eight with Henry, the Titans were eighth overall, 15th in passing and second in rushing. Since losing Derrick Henry in EPA per play, 26th overall, 23rd in passing, 27th in rushing. So at this point, I don't want anything to do with Ryan Tannehill either. I'm putting him in the Derrick Carr bucket. Maybe he can get there on raw volume like we saw you know, last week. He throws four picks, but he still throws for over 300 yards. We know he's got the ability to run into the end zone, then do his cool finger roll thing. But... At this point in time, especially going up against a Patriots league best scoring defense in New England, like, please try to find a better streamer. I think I'd rather play Tua over Ryan Tannehill this week. Is that is that an insane thing to say, Dwayne? I don't think so. I mean, I was struggling with Tannehill, like, just because, like, not knowing who he's going to have to throw the ball to. Um, I had him down to 16, but, like, I okay. still don't feel good about it. Like, and yeah. Luke, 19.25 implied points, like, that's just nasty. That is objectively gross. And yeah, with these wide receivers, like Marcus Johnson starts to show us something. He suffers a hamstring injury and he's out for the rest of the year. If AJ Brown is active and plays through the chest injury, sounds like it's, you know, x-rays were negative. Sounds like we will be okay there. If AJB is active, you got to start him. If he is not active, then really don't start anyone from this offense if you can at all help it. As Dwayne said, whenever you're implied for fewer than 20 points, it's just going to be rough sledding. And I know we're used to looking at this Titans offense as a sort of group that, you know, regardless of who's out there, we should be able to find a way to get some fancy points. But as those EPA ranks I told you guys about, like this is now truly a bottom 10 offense, at least as it stands right now. So try to avoid all these Titans, at least until we see some sign that they can get back on track. Luckily, Dwayne, we do have guys back on track in New England. The problem is some of these running backs are doing a little too good. And just when it seemed like we were getting Damian Harris standing out, being that RB1 in New England, it's looking more and more like a three-back committee with Harris, with Ramondre, and Brandon Bolden. What do you make of this situation ahead of Week 12, Dwayne? Yeah, it is looking that way. If you look at it, the snaps were 40% to Harris, 33% to Stevenson, 27% to Bolden. Then the rushing attempts were 32% to Harris, 39% to Stevenson, 3% to Bolden. But then the routes, 25% Harris, 19% Stevenson, 34% to Bolden. So it's a situation where it is a bit murky. Um, Harris did handle 50 to you know uh, 60% of the rushing attempts you know before week nine. So we did see those games where we were used to like this is definitely like a downgrade in the role coming back now whether whether or not like maybe he was still 
you know, dealing a little bit with an injury. They're bringing him back a little slower. I know he'd missed the week before with a concussion, but he's had chest injuries, all sorts of stuff. Like he's been knocked out of games like more than once, like two or three times this year um, that I can remember. So if you look at it from a, you know, kind of like what you were talking about earlier with Saquon Barkley versus Booker, the, the silver lining, or the, I don't know if it's a silver lining, but I think the positive you just kind of got to take away is in the first half, Harris did take 50% of the rushing attempts. Um, 42% of Stevenson's carries literally came in the last two drives of the game. But still, Harris before had that closer role, right? And we've seen the Patriots defense play really well. Bill Belichick's doing his thing. So getting to be part of the four-minute offense in some offenses doesn't matter, but in New England, it does matter. It's actually part of the role you want. You, you're living for the game where the Patriots are leading and you know Harris is still going to be smashing people in the fourth quarter. So even though those carries did come late, it still hurts. But what you what we could hope is that maybe it was a situation where they just wanted to give Harris a little bit more you know, rest, let him get back to full strength in, and then maybe we see him get some of those carries back this week. I don't know though. Stevenson has looked good enough that like if they don't have to, you know, just bang, you know, Harris into those sort of, you know, workloads, they may just not want to. They may think, well, Stevenson's doing well enough. Let's just let him do it. I still think Harris is the better back. I think he looks more explosive. I know a lot of people love Stevenson. I think Stevenson's the more well-rounded, like all-purpose back. I think Stevenson can do more. But if just as far as like between the tackles, breaking tackles, like Harris is just a fun back to watch, man. Like he just he is he is nonstop. Like well. Never give up. Doesn't matter if he's dragging one guy and he's headbutting the next one. You know, it's it's just fun to watch him. You know, Stevenson doesn't have that same. He's much more likely to get stood up. He runs a little bit more upright. Um, not as powerful as Harris, but still a good back. Um, and I think you nailed it. Like right now, I've got them both um, for the week in my tier five. I've got Harris at twenty six. And I've got Ramondre Stevenson setting at 29 right now. I'll end up tweaking those a little bit, but that's about where they'll end. It's tough to really trust either one of them. If I had to lean to one or the other, I would still pick Harris um, this week. Uh, as far as the passing game goes, with um, unless did you have something else on the backs that you want to mention? No, I think you nailed it. It's unfortunate, though, that we still have Brandon Bolden there. Like, if it was yeah. just Harris and Stevenson, we could get them both in the top 24 without much of a problem, but they're both their cups upside is just so capped with Brandon Bolden being the pass-down guy. So, no, Dwayne, like, you're right. Everyone, like, we have this, like, rookie fever thing where everyone always just wants the rookie to overtake the veteran, but Harris is still very good. And just like last Thursday night, I still feel like we need to rank Harris higher. Yeah, it, it, you know, just two years ago, Harris was the one everybody wanted, right? Over Sony Michelle. We do yep. get the fever, and it's natural. We do it. Um, Time is a flat I, circle, Dwayne. Yeah, and the thing is, Harris still looks really good. Back then, Michelle looked yeah. like crap. You know what I mean? So Harris is playing well. And I think what you just said there at the end is the key takeaway. Like, when you look at Harris and Stevenson, basically, look, folks, you need a touchdown. You need, you need whichever one of these two scores a touchdown because they're not getting much work in the passing game. Um, as far as the passing game goes... Um, looking at Mac Jones, you know, we had talked about earlier in the season, you know, Ian, we had kind of had this kind of, you know, turning of the corner, if you will, for Mac Jones. And, and you had kind of highlighted it because you've been a little hard on Mac Jones. Um, and look, everybody's in love with Mac Jones now. Um, and he's playing good football. But at the same time, like whenever I look at his passing yards, I'm like, he's not having to do a lot. Over the last four games, 218 yards, 139 yards, 198. That game, he threw three touchdowns and 207 yards. And he had one touchdown. So he says touchdowns passing have been zero, one, three, one. And then here's the thing, though. All short of the sticks, Ian. Like, you know, oh, he's yeah. 55% of his passes are short of the sticks. 
you know, he, we had talked about him kind of turning that corner was what I was mentioning earlier as he was starting to throw the ball deep a little bit more. That's all really gone away. And, and here, to be fair to him, like, they just, they don't have a lot deep. We did see Derek Carr get more out of Nelson Aguilar last year um, with the Raiders. But before that, Aguilar had not really been known, right, as this deep threat. And he and Jones just don't seem to be on the same page. And let's be honest, like, the Patriots are getting in these game scripts where they don't have to force it. And Belichick knows he's got a rookie quarterback, and he's not forcing it either. So I think that's part of it. I think we've seen enough from Mac Jones to know that he's probably going to be a decent quarterback. But right now for fantasy, you just can't use him because the Patriots don't really want to funnel the offense through him. If they need to for a game because they know that's how they win, we could see Jones have a good game. We just don't really know when that's going to be. It's really just more of this dink and dunk offense. I've got him at QB 24 on the week right now. Um, He may move up a little bit, but not much. I've got him right there with Tyrod Taylor, Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I got him ahead of Daniel Jones and Trevor Lawrence and Trevor Simeon. Simeon's got a brutal matchup with Buffalo this week, but just not excited about Mac Jones. Uh, Jacoby Myers does have a great matchup. Defensive points allowed uh, to wide receivers for Tennessee, 42.7 a game. That's kind of a lot. (laughs) So Jacoby, (laughs) I've got him at wide receiver 36. You know, he's just been barely hanging on to that wide receiver three uh, title, um, but he is the most targeted Patriot, like, and he is pretty much every single week. Last three weeks, not quite as many, but still 19%, 17%, 23% of the targets. He's at 23% of the team targets on the year. So maybe we see Jacoby get another touchdown this weekend. You know, I don't know. That 55% number was the exact threshold I drew in my QB predictions article because I wanted to list the quarterbacks that were above 55% of their passes being short of the sticks. It's a terrible group to be in. We do have Mac Jones, Daniel Jones, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Tua, Mike White, Jared Goff, and in first or last place, as we would put it, Big Ben Roethlisberger on the year. Only Jimmy G, Tyrod Taylor, and Jared Goff have a lower adjusted completion rate than Mac Jones when throwing at least 20 yards downfield. They're playing to his strengths. They don't have great downfield weapons. They're winning football games. But I also can't take another week like last week of everyone acting like the Patriots just had the best draft pick of all time when the guy beat down the Atlanta Falcons and threw for like, what, 200 yards and one touchdown on a complete coverage bust. I don't think he completed the ball over 20 yards like that entire game. It's just those games, Dwayne. It's that Thursday night game against the Falcons and the Tom Brady Sunday night game. It's the rookie thing again, man. Everybody needs a rookie quarterback to grab onto. And Mac Jones is kind of all we... He's all we have right now. Didn't we all? <laughs> wasn't the entire conversation throughout April, May that Mac Jones was the most pro-ready quarterback of the group? Like, I think he's played better than expected. And this this not- is and this is the pro. This is pro-ready. That's what you're seeing, right? He's not making the bad. Yes, plays. exactly. So, love you, Mac, but you know you're not gonna be a fantasy guy. Falcons at the <laughs> not Jaguars. This not this year. <laughs> not this year. Not this year. Falcons at the Jaguars. Atlanta sitting as a one-point favorite. Open Jacksonville as a one-point favorite. Game total down from 51 to 47. It has been miserable in Atlanta. Three. Count them. Three points in their last eight quarters. That is 120 minutes for those counting at home. Look, if Kyle Pitts is healthy, and he is, we're starting him. If Cordero Patterson is healthy, we're starting him. Otherwise, whatever. And honestly, the Kyle Pitts thing, man, I always thought the victory laps were 
weird throughout the middle stretch of the year. Everyone touted Kyle Pitts as a top five tight end. Like, if you didn't, I'm not sure what you were smoking while doing your preseason ranks. You know, maybe hook a brother up. But with Kyle Pitts, like, everyone knew he was going to be great. I think it was just a question of, like, could he be just another tight end one? Or is he going to immediately leap into that Waller-Kelsey territory? So he had the London game, 119 yards and a touchdown. The next week he goes for a buck 63 against Miami. Other than those two, admittedly very good games, he hasn't scored all year. He hasn't even reached 75 yards all year. Dwayne, his only touchdown came when the Jets decided to cover him with a defensive end. Like, that is the only time Kyle Pitts has caught a touchdown this year. It hasn't been great. He hasn't been able to separate that well from cornerbacks and... I saw your stat about um, when he played and, you know, people like you better be following Dwayne on Twitter. But if you don't, like you are missing out the <laughs> amount of cool shit he sends out there. But with the Kyle Pitts. I get the IMs in the middle, middle of the day from Ian. Hey, where'd you pull that? <laughs> well, I, this is like the third time in the podcast I'm talking about your tweets. So I just wanted to give <laughs> a brother you, an extra Thank little, uh, extra little bump you. there. Because the point, though, that you were making was that Kyle Pitts was getting double teamed against the Patriots. I think it was 30% of his uh, route. And that was a good 10% increase on what we've seen over the year. And like, that's fine. Okay, they definitely made a more concerted effort. But that's still 70% of his routes where he wasn't necessarily facing double coverage. And he just wasn't able to do much. So that's the thing. Like, that's the game where I don't want to just look at that last week and say, oh, Kyle Pitts got taken away by Belichick. Because Belichick always takes away the other team's number one wide receiver. Like we talked about on the Twitter spaces before the game, which you guys can always check out on Thursday night with Dwayne, myself, and our lovely buddy, Brian Drake. But with this, like, it's one of these descriptors with Belichick always taking away number one. We bring up the times he does, and we kind of ignore the times he doesn't. Like, where was that when CeeDee Lamb went for a buck fifty and a couple touchdowns, you know? There are more than enough examples to see over the years. Like, how about when Tom Brady lost his last game in New England and Derrick Henry ran for 180 yards? Where were you on that one, Bill? Like, it's just a common thing that we like to say, but which, there actually are NFL defenses that seemingly don't go out of their way to take away the number one guy, but it's just a little bit of a tired point, and we can't just write off Kyle Pitts's down week as Bill Belichick syndrome when we again have every single week of the year except for two when we've seen most of the same thing. So with all that said, Kyle Pitts is getting enough targets to continue to be a rock solid tight end one fantasy land, but I just think that we were all a little bit early on crowning the guy midseason. Please get healthy, CPAP, because if not, we got Quadri Allison apparently leading the way now, but I do not trust that for a second. We still have Mike Davis playing a lot. Wayne Gallman could leap back into things. And again, this is all for an offense that has scored three points in their last eight quarters. So... It's not all on Matt Ryan. I mean, Falcons receivers this year have only gotten open or wide open, uh, deemed by PFF, on 42% of their routes. That's the sixth lowest mark in the league. I mean, they're 28th in overall pressure rate, 27th in PFF team blocking grade, and 30th in rushing. Like, Matt Ryan had a nice stretch after the first two weeks of the year where he looked like his usual self, but not having Ridley, having a banged-up CPAT, not really having Kyle Pitts, I think, be as high-end as they were maybe hoping in year one. It's been probably for everyone. So we're starting Pitts, we're starting Patterson. Other than that, miss me with these Falcons. Dwayne, I think you're probably going to have a pretty uh, similar takeaway here in Jacksonville. We got an RB1. We maybe have a tight end one, depending on how the uh, lineup and how the week's going. Other than that, whatever. 
Yeah, I'm actually okay with just moving on with that. If you are James Robinson, you know, does get the number one running back strength of schedule uh, opportunity this week. Um, also, 27.9 points given up per game to opposing running backs in a PPR format for the Falcons. So you're going to fire Robinson up. Hopefully, uh, he'll be full at some point this week with the Hill injury, and we'll see him be able to. He's getting close to being an every down back anyway. Uh, Dan Arnold pulls the second best tight end strength of schedule on the week at a 9.7. And I'll just leave it there, Ian. Sounds good, Dwayne. I was ready to just not do any of that, but I like what you had to say there. So I'm happy. I'm happy. There, there was there was enough noteworthy since the matchups were so good. But yeah, we can move on. We got to give our guy RB1 some little cred here and there. Buccaneers at the Colts. Tampa sitting as a two and a half point favorite game total at 51 and a half. Might just be, we see Dak having a couple of down weeks. We see Kyler playing a little banged up. Justin Herbert been a little up and down throughout the year. TB12 MVP 2021 just might be the year. League high 29 passing touchdowns so far. We'll see if he keeps on keeping on. You don't need me to tell you to continue to fire up Brady with all the confidence in the world. And fantasy land, the question is what to really make of these wide receivers. Dwayne, do you see any update on Evans after the hamstring? No, I haven't seen it. I'll, okay, I'll look I have it up though right now. Uh, yeah, have not seen an update on that, but yeah, it sounds like Antonio Brown is getting a lot closer to playing. You know, I, I don't know if there's still an ongoing investigation with the whole COVID card until we get new information on that. I'm just going to ignore it. So only looking at AB from the injury perspective, you know, he was sending out Instagram saying he's almost back and it did seem like him being able to, I believe, get in at least a limited practice last week or is on the sideline, whatever they deemed it, he does seem to be getting closer to returning. So if Evans is going to miss time. Like, this is what we talk about every week, Dwayne. When all three of these guys are active, Evans, Godwin, and AB, you're starting all of them, but we're forced to rank them really outside the top 12. There's only one ball to go around, and that's especially true when we have Ron Gronkowski back and doing his thing. But when you take away one, then we can get behind Evans, Godwin, AB, whoever is out there. You take away one of those guys, all of a sudden we're looking at a legit wide receiver one. I mean, we see this example everywhere. Cincy, Dallas, Take away one of the big three. Usually the other guys are going to eat instead of the wide receiver, you know, four coming into the starting lineup. So it's a lot easier for the backup to, you know, come in from a running back position and get that full workload. Wide receiver, you know, it's much harder to really take that sort of approach. So keep an eye on Mike Evans because... I don't think we're really going to get a new wide receiver coming in to give us value. We already got Brashad Perryman out there doing his thing. Almost caught a touchdown uh, in that game last night. It would have been a great catch, but always rooting for Brashad. But the thing is, they got Perryman out there. Scotty Miller just got activated. And Tyler Johnson continues to do his thing. And hell, Jalen Darden gets some run more weeks than not. So, Goblin, A.B., Evans. But beyond those guys, even with Tyler Johnson there, it's going to be tough to expect you know anything more than a desperation flex play from there. Also, so with Gronk, who I mentioned, 59% snaps, and I think a lot of that actually could have been higher if they weren't just up by 20 in the fourth quarter. Saw plenty of shots of him just chilling on the sideline there. So he did it 80% uh, in the first two weeks of the year, but again, I think that game script was a factor. What wasn't a factor was him getting the ball, eight targets, six catches, 71 yards, and looked fine doing so. He's going to continue to be a weekly tight M1 option. You know, whether you want to put him where do you have him, Dwayne? Will you put him ahead of Schultz already? Uh, Gronk? Probably not. No, no. no. I've got Schultz at six. Um, Gronk was out right. there 60% of the routes. I mean, we'll probably see him get back towards more like 70 75%. It's a pretty good matchup this week. The tight end matchup itself is a 62 overall, which is number one on the slate. 
Um, so I've got him at 10 right now. Okay. So I've got him. I might move him above Hawkinson. Like I know Hawkinson's going to be out there more, but I'd feel better about the buck. I'm, I'm fine with Rob Gronkowski on 70% of the routes versus TJ Hawkinson at 85%, just in a much better offense. And hey, if we do end up seeing Mike Evans miss time, like that will be a plus for be. Gronk as well. Same thing for the other wide receivers. So you guys get it. It's all good having these guys uh, from Tampa Bay. And you should probably be starting them more times than not. Final note is just how juicy the role is with Leonard Fournette. We have talked about that throughout the year here, but just to kind of quantify it, in terms of expected PPR points, the only running backs with more than Leonard Fournette this year, Najee Harris, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, and Austin Eckler. That's it. That's the end of the list because of these targets. Dwayne, this one shocked me. I, lo I love when I can find a stat that even shocks yourself. But target leaders this year, DeAndre Swift is in first with 65, then Najee Harris with 62, Austin Eckler with 55, and in fourth place among all running backs is Leonard Fournette with 54. I am old enough to remember when we all thought Giovanni Bernard was going to be taking all the targets in Tampa Bay. Lenny freaking Fournette fourth most targets in the NFL. I did not see that coming, Dwayne, but it is. It's beautiful. He's a weekly RB1 regardless of the matchup. You know who else is a weekly RB1 regardless of the matchup? You know who else might just be a god living among us? Jonathan freaking Taylor. Maybe, Dwayne, he can, I don't know, like let one of his other teammates score a touchdown every time and again. I don't know. Just saying. Yeah, but it's been nice, man, just to get to see him truly get to open up and, you know, just handle this huge workload over the last you know, at least a couple of weeks. We've really, it seems like Frank Reich has just kind of like given in. I think he listened to the podcast. He's like, these guys are <laughs> reaming my ass. Like I've got to just <laughs> let Jonathan Taylor do his thing. The last two weeks, 84% and 83% of the snaps, 75 and 71% of the rushing attempts. This last week out there for 71% of the routes, like that is nuts. He had been at 48 and 50% the two weeks before. Targets per route run, really healthy over the last two games, 39% and 20%. So anytime he's out there, they're trying to get it to him. Um, so yeah, like you're just, you're running with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, on paper, it looks like the Bucks are a tough matchup, but with Vita Vea not in the lineup, like it's just not the same, you know, defense and you can run on them. And look, we knew Buffalo was a tough spot going in last week. Jonathan Taylor didn't care. Um, so when you look at Taylor, 19 points is where Kevin Coles got him projected for the week, which is number two. I've got him number three right now with McCaffrey one and Eckler two. Um, Eckler's got a great matchup, you know, um, from a standpoint of the running back strength of schedule. But if you want to put Taylor one, it's fine. That's the top tier. Those three guys together. And then I have Najee Harris and Dalvin Cook in my top tier, but below them this week. Um, Najee's got a nice matchup. Um, so Taylor's in the top three, going to be in the top three every week. He's always a threat to finish number one. And he just, you know, look, what other running backs really have, you know, the upside to score four or five touchdowns in a game? There's just not many of them that we have. And he's one of the few because he can score on any touch, whether it's through the air, whether it's on the ground. Um, I mean, I could, I could name all the things that he's doing great, um, but I'll just move forward. I think people know how good Jonathan Taylor is. As far as the passing game goes, they just don't need it that much. I think when they need it, Carson Wentz can be fine, Ian. We just don't know when those games are going to come. Um, this could be that potential spot, though. You get a game against the Bucs, you, you know that it could be a it could be a shootout, right? We know Brady's going to put up points. we got a 51.5 total on the game, which is the number one on the slate. So this is a week where Wentz is going to creep up towards, you know, that borderline QB1 for me, just because I think he's going to get a little more work. You could have said the same thing last week around Buffalo, and really, you still didn't need Wentz. Some of us did, Dwayne. Some of us shouted it, and we looked really stupid when it didn't work out. <laughs> the process was right, though, right? You, you didn't know that Jonathan Taylor was just going to say, I, I got us. And he just put it all on his shoulders. 
and just took off with it. And the Bills just weren't able to do anything, right? Um, so let's see what Brady, I think Brady, you know, has just been more consistent. To your point earlier, Josh Allen's been very boomer bust this year. Brady hasn't. Brady's had very few stinkers this year. He's really only had one where you're just like, ugh, that was just bad. It was against Washington. Um, so with Brady, we know there's going to be more consistency. I think the Colts will be forced to throw the ball a little bit more, which is an upgrade for Carson Wentz. So he'll probably end up around QB 14 or 15 for me this week. Michael Pittman, I have right now as my wide receiver 20 on the week. Um, much of it thanks to, obviously, this, this game total in the 24.5 implied points for the Colts. And if you look at the matchup like itself, it's not great. Like it's it's a little below average wide wide receiver strength of schedule, and our wide receiver cornerback matchup is, is a tad below average. But we've seen the Bucks get beat in plenty of ways, so I'm really not that scared of it. 35.2 points per game given up to opposing wide receivers. Um, there's really not another receiver though that you can use right now, right from the Colts. Um, and, and look, Pitt, Pittman's biggest risk is just whenever Taylor goes off. Like it's the same thing for Wentz. They're kind of tied. But if 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 the Colts have to throw and they're really forced into the situation where they need to score a lot of points and it can't all be on the ground, like Pittman is clearly the guy that you're going to feel the most comfortable with. Pascal, T.Y. Hilton, they could all score a touchdown or, or something, but they're just not being used enough to really feel that great. Pascal's on the field, but targets per route run are terrible, like 6% the last two weeks. T.Y. Hilton, he's not getting as many routes. He's targeted a little more often. So if I had to pick somebody else from the passing game, it probably would be T.Y. Hilton. When you look at Jack Doyle and Mo Ali cox they're just rotating too much to feel good about using one of the tight ends. The process was right. He screamed as his family left him and all of his belongings <laughs> got evicted. You know what, Dwayne? You know what the most important play is, Dwayne? I don't know. What's the most important play? The next one. We got Jets at Texans. Houston, three-point <laughs> oh favorites. God. Can I Opened switch with the- you? You take the time. <laughs> <laughs> Open Jets minus one game total down to 44 and a half after opening at 46. Again, waiver pod, we always go through the big ones of the week. So we talked about Ty Johnson a lot. And really, moral of the story is to be careful. We don't know what the split is going to be with him and Tevin Coleman. If I had to guess, I think Tevin is going to be a bit more involved than a lot of people are hoping. And there also is a chance that LaMichael Pirine is going to be in there as well. This is all for an offense applied to score just 21 points. So the biggest issue facing Ty Johnson, and I'm not the first person to bring this up, but it is... The quarterbacks, which one is going to be under center? It is now going to be Zach Wilson because his knee magically got better as Mike White and Joe Flacco got put on the COVID list. So uh, Flacco was a close contact. He did come out and say he's unvaccinated. So I believe that's uh, 10 days. I'm not confirmed on that, but it seems like that'd be the case. And obviously Mike White will not be there because Zach Wilson is starting this week. So it's just something to keep in mind with the check down rate because Mike White, 10.9%. That is the single highest mark in the league among 48 qualified quarterbacks. We got Zach Wilson all the way down there at 5.4%. That's 32nd. Flacco even lower at 4.3%. So with Ty Johnson, like Dwayne, he's an RB3 for sure. Could you even squeeze him in the top 24 though? Yeah, I've got Ty Johnson at running back 27 right now. Okay, And it's mainly because we feel really good about the passing down role. I think he's going to handle somewhere between... 30 and 40 percent of the rushing attempts and he'll handle most of the passing down work and it's a team that trails all the time so i'm going to lean to ty johnson i think tevin coleman probably gets a little over half of the carries and to your point like this is this is just me giving my best guesstimate based on what we've seen with utilization um, so far this season 
No, I think RB27 is perfect. Just don't get carried away thinking we have, you know, stumbled upon this like waiver wire darling. Perfectly fine. RB3. Feel good about that. Uh, only other real note here is Elijah Moore, wide receiver, one season, everyone. 80% snap rate last week. That was his highest since week one. Actually, Drew, his first start since week three. Fancy that, you know, taking the guy you drafted with the 34th overall pick and, you know, starting him. So about damn time. Last five weeks, wide receiver 36, wide receiver 26 wide receiver one wide receiver 27 and wide receiver three we have the snaps now to feel good about it yeah we got zach wilson back under center maybe we're feeling a little uh better with joe flacco being out there words i was hoping i wouldn't have to say about zach wilson and the jets this year but here we are in uh week 12 i think he's a borderline wide receiver two at a minimum he's upside wide receiver three and you can feel actually good about starting him so we're gonna see some lows i don't think he's gonna be ripping off you know this sort of high-end performance every single week. But hey, he's pretty damn good. He's shown the ability to win after the catch. He's shown the ability to win downfield. And with Zach Wilson down there, you could argue if he is going to start playing out to his potential more, the ceiling is higher because let's face it, as great as Mike White and Joe Flacco, and as great, I should probably say like mediocre, as they've looked for certain stretches this year, we all know Zach Wilson and with that howitzer he's got for a right arm gives this offense the highest ceiling. So Elijah Moore feeling much better about him than we have in weeks and Corey Davis continues to be out there as well you know I would go Elijah over Corey for sure it seems like they are trending towards more being the more full-time number one as he should be uh, but Corey Davis if you're in a pinch I think is a perfectly fine wide receiver four as well with Eli getting more into this I think the days of really trusting Crowder as anything more than this, like low ceiling wide receiver for himself are over. So feeling good about Elijah Moore. Don't really be too optimistic about Ty Johnson. And send it over to you, Dwayne, where we have a Houston Texans running back room. We got to talk about him, man. I thought we were done with it yesterday. And then they went ahead and they had to actually get rid of Philip Lindsay. So Rex Burkhead, David Johnson, for now, we're still not touching him, though. Come on. Yeah. Now, before I go there, though, just the last three games, the Jets have 1,001 passing yards and seven touchdowns through the air off of the trio of Joe Flacco, Mike White, and Josh Johnson. Zach, Josh, Taylor, hey, Zach, Zach Taylor has big shoes to fill. <laughs> I, did, I didn't tweet this out, so I'll just say it to thousands of people on a podcast anyway. There's a non-zero chance that Josh Johnson is the best quarterback for the New York Jets. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm he saying. came up with that QB6 finish, right, in week nine. So it's, uh, hey, Zach, you just, all, all we care, Zach, is you just keep Elijah Moore going, and the masses will love you. They will flock to you. So keep it going, Zach. Um, yeah, as far as the Texans, I'm, I'm still, I still don't want to talk about this, but I will <laughs> yeah. since you're making me. But I think it'll pretty much just be a split between Johnson and Burkett. I don't know for sure, you know, how it will work, um, who will be the lead. Most likely it will be Johnson, you know, in the lead. Um, but I've got them both in my tier six. So I still have not moved them up drastically to this, you know, to this point, Ian. So tier six to give folks, you know, an idea. Um, it's going to put them because I haven't numbered it. So I've got David Johnson right now at RB40. I mean, I might bump him up like closer to 36, Ian. And then I've got Burkhead right now at 46. So I just, you know, look, I still want to see another week. I don't know like what's going to happen. Most likely it will just be a rotation between the two, but they'll probably sign some dude off the street. Like this right. is going to be the third back. I haven't had time to research like who could potentially be the third back now that Philip Lindsay is gone or are they just going to roll with these two? 
Um, we'll have to wait and see. Not that excited about utilizing them. Um, I will say though, Tyrod Taylor this week gets is in a you know an okay. Oh spot. no! You know who it is? Wait. Oh, he's not ready. They have Royce Freeman, but there's a report saying he's not ready for game action. Oh, that would have been too. Funny. So it'll be back to a three way as soon as he's ready, right? You know, it's going to be a three-way committee. As oh, it, it, okay. Wins. That was for last week. So it might be this week. So That's right, more reason than ever. Hell no. Yeah. So Royce Freeman, like, actually would, is probably the player we like the most <laughs> out of those probably. three. But, yeah, just don't want to mess with it. So Damn. Yeah, can, Wait, can, so, go ahead. so Freeman seemingly was the reason why, you know, because he was still on the Broncos last year. So Lindsey... Yeah, like this. Is, this <laughs> does he keep taking Lindsey's job? He got him kicked <laughs> off in Denver and Houston. That's not cool, Royce. Yeah, man. And I like Philip Lindsey better than Royce. <laughs> what Personally. the hell? Am yeah. I off on that? Because Lindsey, no. no, Lindsey was in Denver last. Eh, okay, I'm, right, I'm trying. We've reached, our, we've, reached our, <laughs> we've reached our time limit on the Texans. Um, Ian, I'm about to like hit this buzzer. Like I have a shocker attached to Ian. If he talks too long about the Texans or Browns, like I shock him. So if you guys see him jump. Like, yeah, we've got that set up. Real quick, Tyrod Taylor, quarterback strength of schedule, 9.9 .9 out of 10 this week against the Jets. So he could come through for you if you just absolutely, you know, who knows, maybe you're you're dealing with a situation where you weren't prepared and you're going to be without Patrick Mahomes. Um, you've likely already been ready for Kyler Murray being out since he's already been out. But those are the two teams we've got on by. So Tyrod, you know, sneaks inside my top 20 for the week. And Brandon Cooks, you guys don't even say anything about Brandon Cooks. I'll just say Brandon Cooks and then let's move on. We all know Brandon Cooks. Next game, we got the Chargers at the Broncos. Chargers sitting as a three-point favorite. Opened with Denver at two and a half for whatever reason. Game totals up to 47 from 45 and a half. So, man, Dwayne, like we do our podcast on Sunday night. I usually have, I don't put the actual game on because I think that would just be too distracting um, as I'm trying to talk. But I usually have the ESPN play-by-play -play up and I'll just kind of see what's happening as you're talking about whatever. And I saw the start to that Chargers game and they threw the ball three times on the first drive to Mike Williams. He caught all three of them, 41 yards. He drew like a DPI in the end zone. And I was like, let's go. We're back. He's getting the featured role. Only three targets the rest of the game. And guess what? He turned into wide receiver 10 performance because he got a blown coverage uh, touchdown there at the end. But it just still wasn't what we wanted to see from this offense. Herbert is a great quarterback, so he can make great plays and still put up good performances in a system that's not the best suited for his talents. But come on, this is still a problem here. He has attempted just two passes of at least 20 yards over the past three weeks. This guy has one of the strongest arms in the league. Quit making him play in the same offense that you used to really make, get the most out of 40-year-old noodle arm Drew Brees. So he averaged four of these throws per game in weeks one through six. Like I don't think it's a coincidence that the Chargers offense looked far better, far more lethal when you had Herbert going down the field more often because he's incredible at it. He's third among 44 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade when throwing deep. First in QB rating, sixth in yards per attempt, fifth in adjusted completion rate. The guy is a baller, but he doesn't do it. You look, there's only four quarterbacks this year that have thrown a pass at least 20 yards on fewer than 8% of their attempts. Jimmy G, 
Daniel Jones, Matt Ryan, and Justin freaking Herbert. Like, he does not belong in that group, and unfortunately, he does. So, hey, Herbert, you know, he's can he's got the rushing upside. We saw that. Like, he can sure run the ball. Not something we'll be getting every single game, but he has the ability uh, to provide us some of that Konami code upside. It's just a matter of can we get him more consistently throwing downfield? Because to me, Dwayne, it feels almost like when the Chiefs just, you know, eviscerated the Raiders on Sunday Night yeah. Football, where it was like, that's awesome. I'm happy you like guys being, did that. Yeah, I feel like he's being coached into this, Ian. Like, because it it's, it's more like what we saw with Breeze. You don't want to throw the contested throw. That's hurting Mike Williams. Mike Williams is not great at beating press coverage over and over and over if that's what you're going to ask him to do and make this huge separation. Mike Williams is more the dude that says, hey, dude, I'm covered, but I'm open. Like, I'm still open, yes. right? You know, and there's some guys that you like like that in the league. You know, some guys you don't want to give those opportunities to in the league because contested throws we know are not worth as much as non-contested. But when you have a beast like Mike Williams and that's his game, they just need to let it rip and get it to him more. And I think that's part of the issue is because he's not getting separation against single-man coverage. It's like Herbert. It's almost kind of like what we've seen historically with Derek Carr where he just doesn't. And so you gave the perfect example, right? Against the chiefs, yeah. you get this man coverage look and he just doesn't want to put it out there because he doesn't want like a 50, 50 ball. Like Carr wants to see the true separation. And so we saw that also historically with drew Brees. He didn't, he's not a contested catch thrower. He would throw the back shoulder fade, you know, um, but he wasn't one to throw just a lot of contested balls. So I do wonder if that's Joe Lombardi getting into his ear and that's, what's hurting us with Mike Williams, because he doesn't win the same way that Keenan Allen wins. So yes, congrats, Justin. Congrats to Chargers. It was a great win, but this was a completely banged up Pittsburgh Steelers defense that hasn't been as good as a lot of people are used to in the first place. Uh, I'm a little worried about them going on the road into Denver. Face yeah, you know, uh, Dwayne's dog agrees with me. Facing oh, the always well-coached Vic Fangio uh, scheme defense. So I, I'm not giving these guys an upgrade based on what happened last week is my big point here. But hey, that's great news for Keenan Allen because since the bye, he has been awesome. Wide receiver 14 wide receiver three wide receiver nine and then wide receiver 14 again so continue to get keenan in the lineups of all shapes and sizes and mike williams man he's really settling in as if you wanted to put him outside top 24 and just say boomer bust wide receiver three i think that's probably what we're looking at at this point better matchups down the road i think he could have better games but we, we need the targets and they have now shown us for over a month straight that they're not going to feed him the high quantity of targets i think they should their offense sure looks better you know when they do feed him targets but i'm not running the chargers we need to see what they're going to do and it's not looking great from a volume perspective for mike and finally, some Austin Eckler love on God mode for touchdowns on Monday night. This year, only the guy with five touchdowns, Jonathan Taylor, has more PPR points above expectation than Eckler, right ahead of fellow beast Nick Chubb and future Hall of Famer Cordero Patterson. Only Jonathan Taylor and Najee Harris have more games as a true top 12 fantasy back than Eckler through 11 weeks. You know who told us all this was going to happen, Dwayne? Nathan Yonke. He told freaking everyone all year. PFF underscore Nathan Yonke on Twitter. And he is once again up in the top of that Fantasy Pros rankings competition. Kings stay Kings, the Austin Eckler and Nathan Yonke story. Now, Dwayne, with Denver, coming off the bye, Teddy Bridgewater still under center. We're hoping it's time to free Javante Williams, but we don't know. I will say, and I'm not sure if you were planning on saying this, so sorry to steal, sorry to st potentially steal your thunder. Just steal uh, it. There we go. I got a fun note 
from friend of the pod, Johnny Daigle, over there at with the artist formerly known as Roto World. And if you saw before the Broncos buy, Melvin Gordon did have a costly fumble in that game. And actually, after that fumble, we did see Devontae Williams start to take a little more control of the backfield. He did outsnap Melvin Gordon 12 to 3 following that costly fourth and one fumble. We got the post by. The schedule here is borderline erotic moving forward. Like, Dwayne, if it's going to happen, it's going to be now. Now, we can't guarantee it's going to happen, but you could imagine. Yeah, yeah. If, if you read the utilization report, you saw, you know, we had a note on that last week, just what, you know, you were talking about with Daigle. Um, we did see Javonta Williams take over the role after the fumble by Gordon. So we'll just have to wait and see. You know, the coaches have had enough time to reflect, you know, calm down, had a bye week in. So, uh, we'll... I hope it's Williams. Gordon's actually played well too, right? I mean, so, I mean, I'm not just trying to, you know, wish, you know, Melvin Gordon off to, into a sunset like too early. But he's we do he's been Javante good. Javante's been great. Exactly. Like the missed tackles force rate, top in the league, you know, his explosive run rates, one of the top five in the league, yards after contacts in the top three in the league. Like he's like, he's up there with like Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor and these other guys and basically every metric. He does get stuffed more than those others. He likes to dance a little bit too much behind the line. And I know I've, I've read some quotes in the press, you know, about that. So I don't know if that's something that continues why they why they're keeping them together, um, you know, 50-50. But we'll, we'll see. Look, sometimes, you know, look, Barry Sanders got tackled behind the line of scrimmage a few times, but that was okay, right? You know, sometimes you just want to see the guy play. Um, so with those two guys, um, I've got them ranked uh, this week. Hang on, let me pop back over to my rankings. I was getting ready to talk about the receivers. Um, I have got uh, Melvin Gordon at 23, and I've got Javonta Williams at 25. So i got them right there Boom. together. 26.8 points allowed per game. Um to fantasy running backs from the Chargers defense. They like to keep everything in front of them. So they're going to invite, you know, the, the um, Broncos to run the ball. In fact, if you look at, you know, I've got a tool and I put this out every week on Twitter. Twitter, I don't have it up in front of me, but just looking at which teams actually invite and allow the most rushing attempts per game, the Chargers are at the top of that list. So this is a game where we could see 15 carries each for these backs, even if they are splitting the workload. Um, if it's a game where Williams does take over, we have this 20, this 20 touch potential, which would Ooh. be really cool to see. So I've got them both, like I said, in that tier four right there, fringe, low end RB2. Uh, but either one of them could have some nice upside this week, but based on the matchup. As far as the passing game goes, um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, we just talked about, you know, Justin Herbert not wanting to throw the contested balls that often, you know, coming from that Drew Brees tree, I guess, with Lombardi. Kind of got the same thing going on, you know, over here in Denver. You got all these receivers, and it's just like Teddy Bridgewater needs to see someone absolutely open. And it really just honestly at this point, you know, you see Cortland Sutton, good news for him. Tim and Patrick, he and Tim Patrick have both gotten paid and re-upped yeah. in the last couple of weeks. And so, look, like the – the stage is set. Like Teddy Bridgewater is not going to be this quarterback next year. If you're going to, if Elway's going to pay those guys, like he's got his eyes on this offseason, which could be a huge offseason when you look at all the potential names at quarterback that could be available. It could be something with Russ Wilson. It could be something with Aaron Rodgers. Now they've tied a lot of money up with these guys. I don't know what the cap situation is. But man, just give us one of these good, really good quarterbacks <laughs> with these guys. Like, and like now what are they going to do with Noah Fant? I don't know. 
But right now, it's the Jerry Judy show, man, because we've got Teddy Bridgewater under center. He wants to, you know, he likes to keep things in front of him. He doesn't go downfield that often. And Judy gets to work from the slot, and he's also destroying man coverage. It's still a small sample, only 40 routes against single man, you know, his counterparts. Tim Patrick's had 104 such routes. Cortland Sutton's had 133, but we had Judy injured. But, man, in the 40 that he's that he's played, 65% of the time, he's creating a step or more of separation <laughs> against man coverage. Like, these slot corners. Racks cannot cover Jerry Judy, which we knew he was a separator coming out of college. And now he's getting the benefit of working inside, you know, against these slot cornerbacks. You know, he's getting the option. Is he going outside? Is he going inside? And he gets heavily targeted um, in those scenarios. When he gets single man, um, he's the most targeted on a targets per route run for the Broncos at 25%. You've got Cortland Sutton at 21% and Tim Patrick at 22%. So this is a good spot for Jerry Judy. I'm excited about what he could do this week. I've got him actually at wide receiver 26, one spot ahead of Elijah Moore, who we talked about just a couple of seconds ago, who is at wide receiver 27. So he's just outside that wide receiver two range, but this could be a big week for him. Um, Look, I love Sutton. I love Patrick, but like there's just too many mouths to feed. And the way Sutton wins is very similar to what we talked about with Mike Williams. He's not like this huge separator. He does beat man coverage, but he, and he's actually better at it than Mike Williams. He does create more separation than Mike Williams, but he's still kind of a get it up to me, let me do my thing kind of player. And we're just not seeing Teddy Bridgewater with the return of someone like Judy giving him that easier option, being willing to do that. So I have actually got right now Cortland Sutton he is down at my wide receiver 35. So I'm keeping him inside the 36 just because he's got talent, but fully knowing like it's a boom bust wide receiver three. Like he could give you a 50 spot, you know, in a heartbeat. Um, if you look at him over the last three weeks since we've had Judy return, man, it has been brutal, Ian. Wide receiver 65, 88, and 59. Like it's just, it's just hard. Even though you know he's a talented player, the quarterback is just destroying his value um, right now. So that's tough. Uh, Noah Fant. You know, when we have Albert O out there, it's just tough for him just because he doesn't see enough routes. But we know the talent is there. And you also, you know, with Fant, so I still keep him in the top 12, but he's also more of a boom bust play. Anytime we have Albert O on the field, it's been a struggle for Fant this season. So if you want to push him down a little lower in your personal ranks this week, folks, I don't blame you. You know, he can, I'm fine with him really. If you want to think of him as more a high end tight end two than a low end tight end one, you will get no arguments from me. I mean, at the end of the day, Teddy hasn't thrown for 250 yards in a game since week six. Like, there's just not, man. there's just not enough production, unfortunately. Can't wait till 2022, though. It's a loaded uh, offense, man. <laughs> it's a loaded like, offense. <laughs> like it's uh, Tim Patrick with that deal should be starting in three wide receiver sets, and that now makes KJ Hamler maybe the best number four wide receiver in the NFL. They have weapons yeah. everywhere. That's gonna be a lot of fun. Vikings at the 49ers. Sam Fran down to a three-point favorite after opening at six and a half. Game totals up to 48 and a half from 46 and a half. So Kirk Cousins, if he gets a clean pocket, he is probably going to win the game. Number one. Tied for first. Okay, but either way. And PFF passing grade among 34 qualified quarterbacks. Tenth in big time throw rate. Ninth in yards per attempt. Second in adjusted completion rate. And now, yeah, Nick Bosa is pretty freaking great. But as a whole, San Francisco is outside the top 20 defenses in pressure, both quick and regular. So Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, 
per usual, get them in those starting lineups. And the Jefferson usage in particular has just been fantastic. You know, we had kind of the mini squeaky wheel thing going on. He had the wide receiver 76 dud. Then he had the wide receiver 14 game. He caught a long touchdown, but still wasn't getting the targets. Since then, wide receiver 7 and wide receiver 1. And they're going out of their way to do this. You know, fancy that. Doing creative things to get your best players the ball. I saw a great note from Hayden Winks over there, Underdog Fantasy. A fantastic Twitter follow as well. Just showing the touchdown that Jefferson had where he was literally lined up in the backfield. Nothing gets me more excited than seeing wide receivers with that running back usage. More, more, more Minnesota. Keep on keeping on. 43% yard air, share, air yard share. Fifth among all wide receivers. Like Thielen's doing his thing, but we always knew Jefferson was going to emerge as the true number one. But hey, Kirk condenses enough. There's enough pass game volume. Start both these guys with confidence. And I kind of look at the 49ers similar to the Packers, who we just saw the Vikings get by last week where they're well coached on defense. They're not bad per se, but I think when you really face something sharp like Cousins, Jefferson, Thielen, you know, there's only a handful of defenses that can really give them consistent problems when they're clicking. So I am not worried about this matchup. And then last thing, you know, Dalvin Cook, he's getting the volume. Just hasn't been the same guy this year, really. Career low marks and yards per carry, PFF rushing grade, and the yards after contact per carry is his worst since his rookie year. So it hasn't been bad when he's out there. Like, you look at his finishes, and he's being an RB1 more weeks than not. He's just not returning exactly what you were hoping for when he probably used the second overall pick to acquire services. So keep going back to the well. Alexander Madison continues to be arguably, you know, if not the best handcuff in fantasy football, anyone's idea of top three. Tyler Conklin, touchdown dependent tight end too, as the kids might say. Now, Dwayne with the 49ers, Brandon Ayuk, man, we got him back. He's back. And I think this week he might actually catch the uh, Patrick Peterson shadow for for some reason, the Vikings did not use Peterson to shadow until he came back. First game off IR, and they said, hey, go go track Devontae Adams. See how that goes. Didn't go well. This could be a, an upgrade, man, if we get that situation. But either way, we got Debo as a running back, so Ayuk is usable again. Yeah, I was going to say, Debo RB1 season uh, <laughs> full effect. Yeah, man, Ayuk, looking at his routes the last three weeks, 94%, 100%, 96%. And it's just, I'm so thankful, man, just because like what he did as a rookie and some of the thresholds he hit as far as yards per route run, his targets per route run, all these things that we really really look at, even like really from a dynasty perspective, these thresholds we want these receivers to hit, he hit a ton of them last year. So he was really expected. And obviously we were drafting him, right? And in the fifth round, you know, of sharper drafts, like Ayuk wasn't slipping around six or seven, um, like he might in some home leagues. He was going in the fourth and fifth round for a good reason. And so it's good to see, you know, this payoff that it's not another Dante Pettis situation. So he's out there plenty. Targets per route run this last week, in 29%, 35% of the targets, 38% of the air yards, 40% of the third and fourth down targets, number one on the team. And of course, it is the 49ers, so you get plenty of play action looks, 29% last week. Typically, more of those go to Debo, who's at 32% play action targets on the season. Um, but last week, it was really Ayuk getting to play more of the Debo role, operating at an A dot of eight, with Samuel operating more at running back. So I think once we get Jamichael Hasty back, 
you'll see Debo playing more out wide and you'll see Hasty taking some of those looks that Debo has seen. I think they'll still get Debo involved underneath. And when that happens, it'll be interesting to see like how do they divide the ball up because we still haven't talked about George Kittle. But the fact remains, when you look at Brandon Ayuk and the utilization report this week, I did give him an upgrade. He moved to high-end wide receiver three just because we know he's a really talented guy. And we know there's some boom bust to it because the way the 49ers run the offense. Look, if you look at the last three weeks, Jimmy Garoppolo has played. Well, actually, if you look at the last four weeks, like Garoppolo has really improved. Like as far as his PFF passing grades have gone early in the season, he was just one of the worst graded quarterbacks in the league. Each of the last four weeks, he's been over a seventy. He's had he's had some near eighty scores in his um, you know PFF passing grade. Um, but again, they can be efficient. If you look at the last two games, one hundred eighty-two yards passing and two touchdowns, one hundred seventy-six yards passing and two touchdowns. But we do have a game where it's a situation that we can get more of a shootout in with that 48 total, 25.5 um, implied points on the game, which is going to be in the top six for the week for the Niners. So maybe it is one of those games where we get something that's more like really what we saw three weeks ago from Jimmy Garoppolo, where he was up over 300 yards passing, and he also had uh, two passing, it was 326 yards and two passing touchdowns. In week nine. So we could have that kind of game coming from Garoppolo. We know he's got the weapons and it could be forced in that sort of game script. So as far as Debo Samuel goes, I have him ranked as the wide receiver four on the week. Um, I've got Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams ahead of him, and I've got Justin Jefferson ahead of him. But then I have Debo fourth. And then I have, uh, I've got Brandon Ayuk right now at wide receiver 28. And so, I mean, he may end up going up a little bit higher than that, but I think that's about right. I want him in that wide receiver, the top, the top side of that wide receiver three tier. Um, when you look at the matchup, it's a plus 41.5 points given up per game by the Minnesota secondary to opposing wide receivers. So it's an absolute smash spot for Debo and IU. You got to have them in all, you got to have both those guys in all your lineups unless you're playing in a three person league. George Kittle. Uh, tougher matchup, only 8.6 points given up per game by Minnesota to opposing tight ends. That is the tough, the second toughest on the season. Also, our tight end strength of schedule metric, a zero out of 10, zero being very bad. And so it's still George Kittle. They're still going to use play action. There's He's still a mismatch. It doesn't really matter with Kittle who he plays. So you're not going to get overly crazy with downgrading him too much. But it just pushes him down to tight end four for me for the week. But still, he's in my tier. He's still in my top tier. He's just in the bottom of tier one um, for the week, which we have no Kelsey this week. So um, that tier is a little smaller than what it usually is. Ian. And then Elijah Mitchell will have to keep an eye on, on the finger. Um, but right now I'm looking at this as if he is going to play. I've got him at running back 18. Um, the offensive line run blocking advantage for the 49ers versus Minnesota is a 95, which is by f- out of 100. <laughs> it's number one on the week. So a great matchup as well for Mitchell. So if he's fully healthy, you know, you can see 15 to 20 touches and a really nice matchup. Basically, like it's, it's a great week to fire up all the 49ers. Great week to be great and fire up all the 49ers as always. Rams at the Packers Green Bay sitting at three point favorites. Game total at 47 and a half. Let's get that deep ball. 
back Stafford need your fastball. It has not been there in his last two games. Started off the year 18 for 33, throwing at least 20 yards downfield. He is 0 for his last seven. He had 13 big-time throws and one turnover-worthy play in the first two months of the year when throwing deep. Last two games, one big-time throw, four turnover-worthy plays. So are we going to blame all this on Odell Beckham's 15 snaps from his debut? Go ahead. It seems like a lot of people are already, so you can just blend in with the crowd there. But yeah, come on, people. Like, is there, was it pretty hilarious to see, like, in the first drive together, Stafford force an interception deep to OBJ? Yes, I'm sure Baker, you know, was laughing and then probably, like, in pain because that dude's, like, every part of his body is seemingly hurt at the second. But come on, he played 15 snaps and he caught the other two balls and he looked pretty good doing so. So, Sean McVay, smart guy. I think the Rams, you know, when I hear that Jalen Ramsey, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup were all begging Beckham to come there, like, I kind of trust their opinions over just kind of the Twitter circus that is trying to go after this guy so no i'm not saying beckham is going to be this top 10 wide receiver or anything that's cooper cup's job and he continues to do it very well but i do think that if you're just blindly fading beckham because of this narrative that's out there you could be missing out on the rams number two pass game option here moving forward van jefferson will be there too but i think we'll learn a lot more about this pecking order after this week fully anticipating obj having more of a full-time role coming out of that bye we'll see what happens and so for this week, a little bit more, I would say, as a low-end wide receiver three. You don't need to go out of your way to get him in the lineup by any stretch of the imagination. We have seen this Packers defense really play great all year long. I know the Vikings uh, you know, did their thing last week. Justin Jefferson is a pretty hard guy to guard. So not, not going to hold that one against them too, far, too much. But yeah, Cup. We're obviously starting him in fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes, and Beckham and Van Jefferson, both in that low-end wide receiver three, maybe more like wide receiver four range, until we see Stafford in this offense get a little bit more on track. I mean, truly, man, it has been rough. They scored at least 26 points in all but one game from weeks one through eight. They totaled 26 points in their last two games against the Titans and 49ers. So maybe they won't get back quite to those same heights. I'd like to think they'll improve a little bit upon the group that we've seen most recently. Final point, our guy, Daryl Henderson. You're starting him week in, week out. His numbers from before the bye weren't great in that game, but that was because he got briefly checked for the concussion before coming back out. He is good to go, and that did mark the first time all year that he didn't have at least 15 combined carries and targets in a game. So we have seen this Packers defense generally play much better against the pass and the run throughout the year, but I do think that Henderson could be uh, you know, that kind of ace of spades up their sleeve if they really do do want to go ahead and exploit maybe what this Packers defense is still a little bit uh, mediocre uh, with, at least compared to their past coverage. So Henderson, stardom, cup stardom, everyone else, I'd like to see a little more before we uh, get him in there. And I think that goes for Tyler Higby as well. He did find the end zone in that last game before the bye. But yeah, Dwayne, we keep talking about all these great tight end options now. I think Higby has settled in as a touchdown dependent tight end too despite all that great utilization that we see with him on a game-to-game -game basis. So I talked about some matchups here and there throughout this episode, but Dwayne, the biggest one of the week by far is going to be Jalen Ramsey on Devontae Adams. Now, he has not consistently shadowed one receiver uh, at all really over the past two years. The only three receivers where they have actually taken Ramsey out of that like star position that he usually plays um, in the slot have been DK Metcalf, Mike Evans, and in the NFC Divisional Round last year, Devontae Adams. But Dwayne, as we saw in that Divisional Round, 
when you have someone with the target share and with the talent of Devontae Adams, even someone like Jalen Ramsey isn't going to get us off him in fantasy land. Yeah, and they do a lot of things with Adams to move him around and protect him from those sort of things and different looks that they do with their different formations. There's a lot of ways that they can use uh, – that they can create space essentially, you know, for Adam. So yeah, you don't want to see Ramsey trailing him all game long, but to your point, like, you know, to your saying, Ian, Kings stay Kings, like Adams, you're still not fading him. I've still got him in my top three for the week and I'm not moving, I'm not moving him out. Plus we, to your point, we don't know that Ramsey will even shadow him or not. Now it is a tough matchup, like overall for this passing game. If you look at, you know, the Rams, they are also another team that they just keep everything in front of them. There's a lot of cover four, a lot of cover six. Um, a lot of too high safety looks. They're not really one to give you that single high, you know, or a lot of, you know, um, a lot of blitz looks, you know, and if they do, there's still a lot of coverage behind it. So Aaron Rodgers is going to have to stay patient in this game. And I think it's a potential problem if, if Ramsey does partially shut down Devontae Adams, because really what does Marquise Valdez-Scantling do well? He's really there to stretch the field and hopefully give you a big play. Well, you're not going to get many shots down the field against this Rams defense. So it's probably more of a Randall Cobb day, to be honest, if you're going to have one of these other receivers step in and do something. We'll have to keep an eye on Alan Lazard because he and Cobb have rotated um, some um, whenever we've had Valdez Scantling healthy in the past. The last week we had Lazard miss the game due to a shoulder. But if we have Lazard out, like I think Cobb is kind of a sneaky play you know, as a boom bust kind of wide receiver for option because they don't have a tight end to go to. You could also see a lot of check downs to A.J. Dillon uh, with the way that the Rams play, uh, you know, their defense. So with Rodgers, I still got him in my top 10 because I think this is a potential shootout matchup with two teams that are trying to position for playoffs. And I think there's a lot on the line, um, despite the fact that the matchup is tougher for Rodgers. Um, as far as the running back situation goes, you got A.J. Dillon. We talked about him a little bit on the Monday morning show talking about, you know, the doing the recap of all the games from last week. But yeah, he's just in an every down role. So um, he handled 75% of the snaps, 61% of the rushing attempts and 51% of the routes, which was really nice. Um, had all the short down and distance and even had all the two minute offense. So that was kind of cool to see Dylan do that. Very different back than Aaron Jones. He's not running angle routes, not going to run bullet routes, not going to run out and ups. That's not his game, but you can get him involved through the screen game. You can run the swing passes. There's some different things that he can do. And when you're running coverage off with guys like Valdez Scantling, especially when you're playing defense like the Rams do, there's probably going to be some opportunities underneath for AJ Dillon to catch something. And, you know, it's always not, you know, it's got to be a nightmare for a cornerback to like look and just see like AJ Dillon, like, always like anytime you see that swing pass out to a back like Dylan or Derrick Henry or Chubb and you're like oh shit like it's just me <laughs> it's me in this I got I got to do enough for the safety to get over here like I just have to do enough for this you know for the crazy linebacker like Ian Hart it's like to get over here and like clean this thing up I just got to delay I got to delay progress that's all I'm here to do um personally and like I will I'll do a confession like when I had the tackle backs now I never faced an AJ Dillon but I specifically remember in high school playing um this team uh everman they're close to us and they had this i can't remember his name i can usually remember the names of these backs but they had this big back and i was coming up to him and i had to tackle him like two or three times you know in this scrimmage and i literally i didn't look at him i just totally threw my back and my shoulder pads <laughs> at his knees i got him the first two times and he hurdled me on the third one and so it was probably no, <laughs> head hurdled. up Dwayne. head I got, up uh, yeah i i yeah they weren't teaching head up back then there just looks like mcfarland get him on the ground and uh there was not a lot of instruction you know on how to do it <laughs> but there was a lot of screaming so i did what i i did i just tried to figure out the best way to do it possible um so who else uh, i already talked about cobb and there's not any tight end so yeah that's it dylan i've got at running back seven 
on the week? I learned how to tackle thanks to Coach Mack, my lovely uh, fifth grade coach back in the day. And he made it real simple. He said, look, guys, you're small. You're about to face some guys that are a lot bigger than you. And if you try to tackle them up here, you're going to get run the hell over. So tackle them down low because if you can't move your legs, then you can't run forward. And then he said, once you get their legs, start twisting because they're going to have to go to the ground because if they don't, you're about to tear everything in their legs. So <laughs> that, uh, that's what I learned with that. And uh, you, go, you go low, Dwayne. You go low and uh, you keep your head up so you don't end up on the uh, hurdle highlight foam. But yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. Nowadays, kids are jumping over everyone. So I would not want to be playing uh, these days. I'm happy to be sitting behind the microphone. Everything about Dylan, though, is true. Okay, he's not Eckler, he's not McCaffrey. It doesn't matter the yards count the same. He's actually fourth in yards per out run among 51 running backs with at least 15 targets. He's also one of only three backs with James Robinson and Tony Pollard averaging over two yards after contact on over 75% of his carries this year. He has truly done everything you could hope for with his opportunities. Final two games, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. We got Sunday Night Football. Browns at the Ravens. Baltimore sitting as three-and-a-half-point favorites. Game total at 46. Nobody, not a single team in the NFL, not a single team in the universe that plays in the NFL's rules has a lower catchable pass rate when their wide receivers are considered open or wide open than the Browns and Baker Mayfield. So Jarvis Landry hasn't reached 75 yards or scored a touchdown as a receiver this season. He has found the end zone twice as a rusher. Does that mean Jarvis just sucks and is the one holding back this Browns offense? I don't think so. I'm not going to go leap from that conclusion. I know others uh, maybe would based on other past examples, but either way, big thing you need to know, Cleveland has scored 17 or fewer points in six of their last eight games. We cannot touch this passing game. You know, like it's, it's weird, Dwayne, because on the one hand, I feel bad about criticizing Baker a lot because clearly the guy's playing through a ton of injuries, but he's going out there and he is playing. So I don't know. Like it's one of those things where it's 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 so tough man with these guys because everyone's playing through the pain like it's i see like in an mma fight i love the ufc it's my favorite sport other uh, the, other than the nfl to watch and like a guy gets hurt and or a guy loses and he's like yeah i came in this fight with an injury it's like well that sucks i could never do any of these things but when you're going out there and you're playing and you're signing the dot and you're going out there and competing i think we just gotta take it at face value so at least for fantasy purposes we cannot touch this passing game and i will just finish with that the good news is these running backs are unbelievable i put a uh, graph uh out there today handy old excel didn't even need to break out the r for it but basically i had on one axis one axis yards after contact per carry and the other one missed tackles force per carry just trying to get some like independent running back usage or uh, efficiency stuff that's not as related to their offensive line or passing game and in the top right corner you get this group of running backs that are just awesome at both james robinson tony pollard Jonathan Taylor, Javante Williams, and then we got Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and Dearness Johnson as three of your seven best running backs, basically, in these metrics. Absolutely wild to see those guys do that. Dwayne, what was the specific word uh, and report on Kareem Hunt? I heard you say earlier that he should be back. Yeah, they're, it's, they're positive. They're hopeful that he's going to play this week. So okay. I, I'm, I'm grading the backfield as if he is playing. Okay, and, and that 
in that case, man, because this is not the same Browns offense that we even had earlier in the year when Kareem Hunt was out there, because I mentioned this before, 17 points or fewer in six of eight games. That is brutal. So Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, they're both great running backs, but what were they doing in the first half of the year? They were really making more out of what we would have expected based on really unsustainable touchdown totals and them just being ballers. So I still think you're going to start them in lineups of all shapes and sizes. Do you have them ranked inside your top 12 backs though, Dwayne? Uh, I've got Chubb at 12 right now. And then okay. I've got Kareem Hunt at 15. Here's the direct yeah. quote is hopeful. Um, but Stefanski did say that he would be designated to return from IR this week. So we'll start to keep an eye, you know, on the calf strain, see if he gets in a full practice or not, you know, by the week's end. And it could be a situation where we're moving Chubb up a little bit more um, if Hunt's not going to play. We did see Dearness Johnson take over some of Kareem Hunt's, you know, work um, with, um, you know, with Hunt being out. But it wasn't the same kind of utilization. It's still, you know, it's much better for Chubb, you know, whenever Hunt's not in there, even though Dearness Johnson has been good. You would like to think, based on how well Dearness has played, that if Kareem Hunt's in there, he's there. He's back. He's getting his role. I don't think they would bring him in in like a limited capacity or emergency only. Right. They do have a week 13 bye, so maybe it would make sense to give Hunt this week off. He gets another bye week and then comes back I strong. think their struggle is they are in a need-to-win-every-game-right-now mode. And yes. Kareem Hunt's one of their best you know, three to four players you know, on the offense. It's Outside of the point. offensive line. As far as playmakers, like... Really, I mean, it's Hunt and Chubb are their two best playmakers. We're starting Nick Chubb in fantasy lineups of all shapes and sizes, and Kareem Hunt should be in the majority as well. Just need to wait and see and get that validation. Dearness Johnson, if Kareem Hunt is out again, he's just more of a flex play. We know what he can do if the, both these guys are down. There's just really not enough meat on the bone in this version of the Browns offense to enable Dearness in the same way that they have been able to do with Kareem. So, yeah, I think it's an exploitable enough matchup. Ravens are 31st in giving up yards after contact per carry. I mean, it's one of these teams where, again, there with the Chargers and I think the Vikings qualified too where I think their general strategy of really putting more resources to help stop the pass com uh, compared to the run works against like 26 to 28 teams in the league but when you play the Browns or if they play themselves the Ravens like you do run into a couple of these matchups where teams will be willing to run the ball enough to take advantage of it so I wouldn't be shocked if Chubb could just make do what he usually does make the most out of a limited number of touches so that's all I got on the Browns Dwayne, we'll assume Lamar Jackson is back. I mean, some of the stuff, I think it was uh, Marlon Humphrey saying on the on like on the flight there that he was just like curled up in a ball and like just couldn't even come close to playing. I mean, it sucks the dude hasn't been healthy, but assuming Lamar is back, it's not the best matchup in the world. But with that said, it's Lamar. We got Rashad Bateman. We got Devontae Freeman. We got a lot of fancy options in Baltimore. Yeah, man, with Lamar Jackson, it is the absolute worst matchup from a quarterback strength of schedule standpoint. It's a zero out of 10 on the week. They're only giving up 21 points, the Browns, to opposing quarterbacks this season. But like you said, it's Lamar Jackson. We don't care because why? Lamar has the quarterback cheat code in his legs. Also on pace to throw the ball 62% of plays versus 50% last year. So the ball is just in Lamar's hands more often. He's either throwing or he's running, and it's all good whenever we get to see Jackson getting that type of volume. So I still have him at quarterback two. I have Brady as QB one this week. I have Josh Allen as QB three. So still have Lamar inside my top three. Um, looking at the backfield, yeah, Devonta Freeman, we covered this also on the recap show. But Freeman has seen over 58% of the snaps, or sorry, 58% of the snaps exactly 
three consecutive games, and he's handled 50% of the rushing attempts the last two games, and we've really seen the backfield dwindle down to just a two-running-back backfield. Now, we know Lamar is still involved, or Huntley if he plays. You know, you really still have three options because the quarterback is so involved in the running game, but it's nice just to have it down to three now instead of before it was four, Ian. And so we've seen Freeman be able to squeeze out some value. And the nice thing is he's, he's involved in the passing down work as well. So really he's kind of taken over some of that stuff that we expected from Dobbins and we saw from Dobbins last year. And so, and I think that makes sense, right? When you look at the skill set of the players they have in the backfield, Freeman is the better fit as the guy to use in the passing game than someone like Latavius Murray. So he's handled 87%, 76%, 88% of the two-minute offense over the last two weeks. The two-minute offense used to mean nothing in Baltimore, but it actually does matter these days. So he's been able to post um, PPR finishes of 11 30 and then nine, which probably is more like 10 or 11 after last night. Um, so, but still like that's two top 12 finishes in the last three weeks for Freeman and his bad game was a, was an RB 30 finish. So you can do worse than Freeman. I've got him ranked number 24 on the week. Cleveland's also pretty tough on the running backs, opposing running backs as well. They're giving up 23 points per game. It's a 4.5 out of 10 on the running back strength of schedule. Um, but it's a situation where I think there will be enough volume there that you keep Freeman in that borderline, you know, RB two, RB three range, low, and RB2, and you're going to be okay. Marquise Brown will have to wait and see if he's going to play. He didn't play last week with a quad injury. Um, so if he doesn't, we'll expect to see Rashad Bateman get more snaps again like he did last week. You also see, see Sammy Watkins potentially getting more, but it's really, it's, it's, it's about Bateman and it's about, you know, Mark Andrews for me if you have if you have Marquise Brown down. If Brown is back, then we fully expect him to take over his full role. It is a tough matchup against, um, you know, the secondary for the Browns that is actually, you know, doing a good job. It's 2.4 out of a 10 on a wide receiver strength of schedule, which is going to be in the bottom four or five this week. The wide receiver cornerback matchup is about average, you know. Um, actually, it's a little bit below average, but Brown has been playing so well, like, um, I don't really worry about it. If he's out there, like, and the thing you love with Brown, he gets to, he gets used at all levels of the field. Ian, they're scheming him up. We know he's got the speed to beat you deep. You just have to hope that he doesn't retweak an injury. That's the main thing you've got to avoid. Right now, I'm assuming that Brown's going to play, which could be wrong. We're way early in the week. This is Tuesday night when we're recording this. Uh, but I've got him at wide receiver 26, which you know is quite a bit lower than where I've had him. Like you know, I've had I've had Brown inside my top 12 or right around a wide receiver one for four or five weeks now. So being a little cautious due to the injury, due to the matchup. If I think he's fully healthy, he practices in full today, tomorrow, and we get to a situation where we know that you know he's for sure playing on Sunday night and he's had those full practices, he'll move up into more of that mid-range. Uh, tight end, uh, tight end, mid-range wide receiver two <laughs> instead of a, you know, uh, high-end wide receiver three. And then Mark Andrews is Mark Andrews, man. Golly, like, Ian, over the last few weeks, like, you know, we always talk about the 80-20 rule, 80% of the routes and 20% targets per route run. Like, Mark Andrews, like, he's like, just like, hold my beer. 89% routes uh, two weeks ago, 98% this past week. And his targets per route on the season are 22%. So on the season, he's at 81% of the routes, 22% targets per route run in a Ravens offense that's passing more than it ever has. I mean, Andrews is just like, he's a set it and forget it tight end. Like you're just going to have him in there. I have him as tight end three for the week. The Browns are all, the Browns are, they're a pretty good defense, like overall. So they're pretty tough on tight ends as well. 1.7 out of 10. Um, so on the tight end strength of schedule, it's a minus 12 on the tight end matchup. 
and you got 11.8 defensive points allowed uh, per game to tight ends by the Cleveland Browns. But again, it's Mark Andrews. I don't care. Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, when they're healthy, with Lamar Jackson, you're starting them every week. It really was impressive what the Browns did on defense this offseason. I know yeah. they're, we, t- we talked about their offense, but adding Clowney to compliment Garrett, drafting Greg Newsom in the first round, they've actually gotten some healthy games out of Greedy Williams, John Johnson as well. When they are fully healthy, this Browns defense can play with just about anyone. Taking us to Monday Night Football, last game. Seahawks at the football team. Seattle is favored by a half point. Last time I saw, opened at two and a half. Game total is resting at 46 and a half. So this is kind of similar to some of these Titans, uh, you know, situations and the other teams that and the Raiders that just are not doing it for us lately because the Seahawks have scored 13 total points since their week nine bye. They have won one game, and that was against the Jaguars since week four. Like, this is not our usual Seahawks team that we're used to seeing, and a lot of it certainly has to do with Russell Wilson not being the same after this finger injury, at least in recent weeks. Before the injury, 88.8 PFF passing grade. After, 43.8. Before the injury, 11 big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. After, one big-time throw, three turnover-worthy plays. Yards per attempt has dropped from 9.6 all the way down to 5.8. It really has been brutal, and I think those stats are backed up on paper. I mean, they just lost a home game to Colt McCoy, and it did blow my mind, Dwayne, to find out that they also lost a home game to Colt McCoy in 2020. I don't know what it is about the Seahawks, but Colt McCoy has their number, I guess. Luckily, he is not on Washington at this point in time. That is Taylor Heineke. But with the current state of this offense, I'm likely trying to not start Russell Wilson if I can help it. I mean, let's see him have a good game before we go back. So, um, you know, I, I do my rankings tonight and like, Dwayne, where do you have Russ? Did you make the leap? Are we putting him outside the top 12 or are we just giving him one more week? Uh, no, I've got him outside the top 12. I've got him at 13. Like the matchup yeah. is good, but man, I just, it's just tough to trust it. And it's not just Russ. Right. Like Russ is not playing good, but like this, the play calling is atrocious. The pace is atrocious. Like I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, there's nothing really that I get excited about right now with this offense. I, I mean, I love the two receivers, but it's it's really bad. But all the pre-staff motion, it's going to – they also just stopped doing that. So, yeah. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, that's really it. I don't even want to start Alex Collins at this point. I mean, his job – if you looked at his overlying stats last week, I think they were okay. But Rashad Penny – got the start. He actually got a report before the game that they were going to feature him more. He ripped off a nice run on his first carry and he immediately hurt his hamstring. So Pete Carroll had a weird Pete Carroll quote. I'm not going to give the time of day because we cannot, we're probably just better off ignoring every single injury update Pete Carroll ever gives us for the rest of time. Like the fact that he had the audacity, Dwayne, to even say that Chris Carson is, you know, on pace to be ready again for next year. Like, shut up, man. You've been wrong on this for six straight weeks and it's not even a matter of like Ian don't listen to anything he says I get that but shut up already like I still (laughs) realize what you're saying that doesn't make it uh any better so Metcalf Lockett and we're not feeling good about Collins because they went to Penny we even saw DJ Dallas he played his most snaps in a minute ended up getting uh the goal line roll I mean the job security just seems awfully thin and if one of these weeks rolls around where Dallas or even Travis Homer just all of a sudden is being featured it would hardly be surprising so if Penny is going to miss some time with the hamstring that would help Collins but man he is like the thinnest of borderline RB2 plays like if it is a even somewhat close start sit question I will be going with the other guy over Alex Collins so yeah 
Metcalf Lockett, try to avoid this group otherwise. Also, shout out to Gerald Everett. He has been making some plays. I think he's in that comfortable, uh, you know, tight end to range a little bit. Has more upside, I think, where he can actually give you a decent day without necessarily scoring a touchdown. But again, we're talking about a tight end and an offense that has scored 13 points over the last two weeks. But shout out to Gerald Everett. Leads all tight ends with .3 forced missed tackles per touch. The leaders at each position, Lamar Jackson, Javante Williams, Kadarius Toney, and Gerald Everett. The more you know. Now, Dwayne, with the football team, you can talk about the running backs if you want. I think we kind of get it. But how about our guy? Our guy. Taylor Heineke, maybe not our guy, but hey, he's playing well. Back-to-back good weeks. And don't look now. The guy's put together a nice little amount here of QB1 streams. Yeah. I mean, uh, you've, you've been very positive on him. I think I've been a little harder on him, but I've got him at uh, QB13 this week. You know, you've got a great uh, matchup. Hold on. You said Russ was QB13. Uh, sorry. Well, uh, I've got a – hang on. Let me read. So Russ, Russ is 13, Heineke's 14. Sorry. Wow. It, it yeah. just made so much difference, you know, we needed to get that clear. <laughs> yeah, but QB strength of schedule is a 6.7, and then you got offensive line pass blocking advantage. 32 is the best on the week, so there's going to be plenty of time for Heineke to get the ball down the field to none other than who? Terry McLaurin. McLaurin also has a great matchup this week. It is on the wide receiver cornerback matchup. We don't see this very often, Ian, because it actually looks at – how much time we think McLaurin's going to spend against each, you know, defender, you know, for the Seahawks, a hundred out of 100 for Terry McLaurin. I've not seen that this year. Mm. Now, Justin Jefferson's close this week at a 99.1, but a 100 for Terry McLaurin, a 6.2 on the wide receiver strength of schedule. So I actually have Terry McLaurin in my second tier of receivers. He's at wide receiver eight on the week. I expect big things. Obviously, if you want big things from him, we need big things from Taylor Heineke. So I feel good about both of those guys. Not really anyone else we can use right now, though, um, for Washington in the passing game. Ian, we'll have to wait and see. Is Logan Thomas going to be back or not? Ricky Sills-Jones also missed last week with a hip. So it was John Bates playing tight end. If it's a situation where it's just one of those, I might trust it. But even with Logan Thomas, with how long he's been out with this hamstring, it's like you just kind of want to see a week, right, when he comes back. I get it if you can't and you're in a situation where you're like, dude, I'm without Kelsey. I got to do something. I mean, I get it. Like, you can use Logan Thomas in that situation. I would prefer to give it one more week. We do know if it is just him that's out there, like it has typically been, you know, doesn't matter which one of these guys out there, are out there, you know, they're seeing, you know, above 80% of the routes. They usually see 15 to 20% of the targets and there's just no one else doing anything really. Now we could get Curtis Samuel back. So we'll see what happens with him. He was close last week with this growing injury that's really plagued him since the preseason. Um, you know, he tried to come back a little earlier in the season. Things didn't work out. So we'll see where we are with Samuel. But man, if if we could get to a situation where Heineke actually has two to three valuable weapons, you know, in the passing game, Ian, like I would, I would, I would be down for seeing, you know, what could that look like? Um, and it would be something that would give him even a little bit more of a boost. As far as the running backs, just really quick, um, I won't, I'm not going to say a lot, but the big thing that's really given a little bit of a boost to Antonio Gibson over the last few weeks, even though we've seen Jared Patterson get involved, is he's been in some matchups where the Seahawks have been able, or not the Seahawks, but the football team has been able to run the ball. And if you look at the Seahawks in regulation, so excluding overtime, they give up the second most running plays per game at 29.9. So we could be looking at 30 rushing attempts 
running straight at the, uh, the Washington football team. And even though they've thrown the ball more than they've passed it, when you look at the um, when you look at Washington and what they want to do across the different game scripts, like really, they really are more of a run balance team or they at least want to be a balanced team. They end up throwing because they have to the way the game scripts work out. So we could see, see a situation where Gibson, could, man, he could sneak. He could be sneaky this week. He could push for 20 rushing attempts. And if you get that, maybe we get a, a rushing touchdown or two. We know he's not involved in the passing game, so I won't go there. I don't want to. You know, <laughs> Nobody should be upset at this point. It just kind of is what it is. Um, but you did bring this up also, and I'll just re, I'll just kind of reemphasize it. You brought it up on the recap show. The Patterson thing is really kind of a hassle for McKissick because before McKissick was getting all that passing down work, but he was also relieving Gibson a little bit in the rushing department. Well, now Patterson's like kind of you know picking up you know that space in between any any rushing attempts that we're giving up from Gibson are now not going to McKissick, and they're really just using McKissick in the passing game which makes McKissick much more of a matchup dependent situation where you basically need a shootout, right? Or you need the you need Washington to be trailing, which happens plenty, but I'm not sure that I would count on it this week against the Seahawks given how bad their offense has been. People, before we get out of here, I just have a quick update from none other than Des Bryant, who after hearing the news about Jason Garrett had this to say, Kadarius Tony, you will get to experience the love and joy for football throughout your career. Des Bryant, everyone, he caught it. And guess who else, guess who else you can catch? The code CYBER40 to get 40% off any PFF subscription. All of PFF's locked article content, our ranking, strength of schedule, goodness, betting dashboards, player props, you name it. We got it over at pff.com. And again, you can save 40% off any subscription with that code CYBER40. It's only a matter of time till it's mock draft season and then we're scouting and then we're in off-season fantasy football land. Just lock it in now at 40% off. You will not be sorry. Again, that's code CYBER40. Cyber 40 for 40% off any sub. And also want to give a shout out to Manscaped. You can go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. Tis the season to load up on Manscaped products. So get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of them all, the Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. You'll get the signature lawnmower 4.0. It's waterproof. That sounds cool and handy because, you know, you're in the bathroom and the shower and stuff. Makes sense to me. Also got the new two-for-one shampoo and conditioner, which has key ingredients with benefits that include hydrating, nourishing, conditioning the scalp, strengthening your hair at the same time. I shave all my hair off because you can't wear beanies when you use hair gel. It's just a, a decision I've made in my life. But if you are one of those people that has long hair, use the Manscaped 2 for 1 shampoo and conditioner. Again, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. And also, if you want to get in on the DraftKings Sportsbook game this Thanksgiving, be thankful for family, food, and free bets. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a turkey day no-brainer that you can't miss. New customers can bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team just scores a point. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code PFF this Thanksgiving. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customers. Only restriction supplies. So DraftKings.com. So sports for details. Gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER. And finally, shout out to our friends over at Western and Southern who are teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. If you want to hear about Chris's old playing days behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football, how about a need to know for your financial future? You can ask about either or both and submit your questions at Western 
westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. They'll read some of the answers on the Chris Collinsworth podcast and on Western Southern's Instagram with the answers every week. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below for more info. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Dwayne, I think we did that thing again where we talked for a ridiculous amount of time about football, but I love football and I love you, man. So, so screw it. Yeah, I do too, man. Uh, one last quick update. Will Fuller, Brian Flores was asked about him today and he still says there's no timetable. He's eligible, uh, but there's no timetable. That That's not a good sound, but but we'll see. Flores can be one of those kind of goofy coaches that like thinks it's you know advantageous for him to throw like smoke signals. And I, I can actually see that with Fuller, right? You know, because of what he brings to the table. But to me, like I would be, I would be playing up. I would be more like Pete Carroll every week. I think, like, yep, Will Fuller. Like he's almost. The, I would want the defensive coordinator worried about Will Fuller and that speed, so that I could, you know, design what I needed to underneath for the other guys. But we'll see what happens with Fuller. Awful take by me that I'll save for this part of the podcast that most people are probably turned off. Bro, he broke his finger. Like, can't we get? Can't we something get him out there? Something else is going on. Something else is going Go on. Go be a decoy. It's got to be something, something else. else. That is just weird to me. He did have some personal stuff early on in the season. I and they could be protecting okay. him. Like they could be doing the cool thing by him. He may not want, you know, certain things out there about his mental health, and maybe he's, maybe he is dealing with something. something. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, it, no, it's, it's just, it's a weird timeline more than I was just being a dick about it. The timeline oh, is I, weird I'm for a broken you. finger is the main point. Yeah, I'm with but you. But hey, you know, you know what, Dwayne? Catching passes uh, probably helps to have all 10 fingers uh, in good shape. So get better soon. Well, I just want to watch him play football again, man. The last time we really saw him was this time last year on that incredible Thanksgiving Day performance where we also saw our guy Duke Johnson. I think he's just looking at the Texans. He's, man, thinking just, golly, I should have stayed with Houston. Like, look what I could be doing. Yeah. All the possibilities. <laughs> All right. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.